Warning, this podcast contains scenes of explicit nonsense and lore. Previously on the Resident Evil podcast. It's beloved, uh, for, for, for all the right reasons. It, it can't possibly have that same impact. And then you get to the lab, the island, the lab. It's like, welcome to Nest 3. It's going to El Nesto. Yeah, El Nesto. Yeah, we're, 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 calling, we're calling it El Nesto, yeah. Don't tell me that I'm not going to be wrong about this. There is going to be an RE Engine remake of the first game. It's un- un- unexpectedly expected. <laughs> if that makes sense to me. Oh, Eskimo, my son. We, uh, I met Miranda 50 years ago, <laughs> and we talked about mold. Mold, Wesker. And he's like, what the fuck? What about? <laughs> and that's what everyone's like playing the fucking game. And welcome to episode 79 of the Resident Evil podcast. More daring than an adult Zootopia community and spontaneously breaking into dance when Dua Lipa comes onto the radio. Is that right, Sean? Dua Lipa? Don't stop now, Nick. Yeah, good. Excellent. I'm Nick, better known as Neptune. Let's see who's joining us today. As their leader, he has unlimited breadsticks. It stars Tyrant. With sesame seeds. We must not call him by the Z word anymore. Rombie. Hello. And finally, he may be a webmaster in the RE community, but his resume has just been shred. It's George Trevor. A breadsticks now canon. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, yes. They are. Well, you say that. I've been up all night. I've read this so-called timeline of Batman three times now, and there is not a single mention of a breadstick in there. Shocking, shocking. He's, he's working on a new version. Give him time, give him time. Coming up on today's podcast, <laughs> as voted for by the RE Twitter community, we are looking at the new Resident Evil Netflix series. Released back on the 14th of July, we brave the murky waters of another live-action RE show in little over six months. How did this fare for the team? It's been a while since the last podcast, and in that time we've had the Capcom Showcase as well. So we're also going to be having a sub-discussion on Resident Evil Village, Gold Edition, and the Shadows of Rose DLC. Before that, however, we have all the latest news, and we finish off with Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. So let's start with that news. First bit of news, Numskull Remake 3 Statue News. Yes, that's now available to pre-order. £100 this one. Sean, you've mentioned in the past you, you're not a big fan of the of the remake Nemesis. And although this one does look particularly it's, impressive. Yeah, it, it, it's a shame. I mean, the, the Tyrant statue I've got, I've done a, a video for it on the uh, YouTube, the podcast YouTube. You can check it out. Um, it's a very well produced statue, and it's definitely worth its money. But I would actually say the ne- the Nemesis statue, going from the initial screenshots, looks even better, to be honest. And so it probably justifies the slightly additional price they're asking for. But ultimately, what you've got is you you're getting really well produced statues for a third of like what Hot Toys are, are charging for theirs. So if you're interested and if you like the sort of remake designs, get it pre-ordered, get it you know get it get it sorted because it looks to be a very very 
lovingly done bit of bit of memorabilia for people. That's coming out on the thirtieth of November. So I'm not sure if it's I'm not sure if it's Numskull, but I think it is. That around the same time they're releasing like a Raccoon City pack as well. I saw of other items. Is that already out over there? Is it around the same time? And it's like a map of Raccoon City, uh, like and some replica like key cards and so forth from the game. But unfortunately, it's all branded with the RPD logo with the 1969 date on it. So, but I saw them and I was like, oh, it was kind of almost cool for the map. Where can I download the patch (laughs) and apply it to my merch? (laughs) I'll see if I can find the find it and send it to you guys. But yeah, there was a. It's like those little gift packs that people put together. They put together brands now where it comes with a bunch of like replica merch from the French from the franchise that you're in. So you can get like tickets to whatever thing that it was in. Like here's a ticket to Jurassic Park. I want the name and, and security passes and stuff. I want the name of the person in Capcom who came up with 1969. I want the name, and I'm gonna sit him down and give him a good old talking to. Other news is the fact that if you live in the European area, you can download Resident Evil Director's Cut on your PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, free of charge. And by free of charge, I mean you've got to pay for it, but not through <laughs> the... <laughs> Previously purchased it. Oh, yes, yes, if you previously purchased it. But not through the PlayStation Plus subscription. So people will be aware that it's part of the PlayStation Plus subscription. And if you're in North America, you can... St- kind of stream it i think you play it through cloud things what how i don't know how that all works but they get a native one but it's just different to ours yes slightly. but in the in here in in, in your you can use your PlayStation 3. You can purchase it on PlayStation 3 if you haven't done so already. And then open up your PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5. You can download it directly onto your console, which is great. I've done a very handy video on our YouTube page. So head over to our uh, YouTube and you can do that and just show you how you can how you can enjoy the magic of Resident Evil Director's Cut. And I've actually done a recent stream with it, which was a joyous experience. First time I've ever actually completed Director's Cut. That has been a wonderful thing. And we hope and pray that Resident Evil 2 and 3 and Survivor follow suit. If you are like me as well and despair the 50 hertz versions, Sony have said they are going to be rolling out 60 hertz versions of these games as well. So I assume it'll just come through a select version on the menu or something like that. But more than anything, I'm just overjoyed that people can finally, on their modern consoles, download a version of the original game and play it. Because it's exciting to me that this will be the first time for some people experiencing this title. So enjoy it. Final bit of news, Infinite Darkness news. Oh, yes. We've had <laughs> two cover reveals showing Leon huddled around a computer console with some other characters. There's been a coloured-in version for Volume 1, which I think is still due out in... I think it's still due out in September. And then Volume 2 is due out in March, I think. I'm getting mixed messages as to exactly what, when they're coming out, but there does look to be two parts to Infinite Darkness. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's carrying on. Infinite Darkness come out. It's like must be over a year old already. It surely is, it, it is over a year old. Yes. Yeah. God, we're still talking about it in the news. <laughs> so keep your ears out for that. We'll of course we'll cover it. We're hoping uh, as it is a prequel, there's going to be some useful information to help clear up any confusion that Infinite Darkness left.
site news, a little bit of site news. Firstly, as always, I'd like to thank our patrons. So that's Thomas Beach, Jem Mackey, and uh, CMO Smos. Thank you so much for your patronage. And if anyone is interested, you can head, o- head over to our Patreon page. Uh, you'll find a link on our website to see what other benefits uh, can bring and uh, uh, obtain by supporting our little podcast endeavours. The only other site news we will, there should hopefully be some more coming very shortly. I, I'm working on something which is due for release imminently, which I think people will enjoy. But the only other bit of site news is our friend Rombi, who has done a very handy guide on Ethan Must Die mode, if you've ever played that on Resident Evil 7. Rombi, did you want to give a quick heads up on what, um, what you've done? Because the game got re-released for PS5 support with a new set of trophies, the game automatically unlocks some of them from previous saves if you've got them but not all of the trophies and one of them it doesn't unlock is a bunch of the DLC ones including Ethan Must Die so I thought oh well I might as well go through this and I'd gotten so used to playing it I think the first time I played it I must have gone through it about 60 or 70 times trying to get a good clean run and there is a bit of random game to it because obviously the boxes are random but um, I kind of went through to show where items are a good path um, a good way to use traps against enemies to kind of save ammo and um, yeah a, a nice little clean path path through the through the through the game so if, if people are struggling maybe check that out and see if it gives you any tips and and things if they're wanting to play that i know it's obviously not new and there are other guides out there so um, i just thought i'd throw that up while i was doing it and thought it was a good thing to do to show people who might want to finish the mode um, it is probably the toughest in the game because most of the other modes do allow you to kind of save and and, and you know have restarts whereas this if you die you have to start from the start again so well worth well worth checking out that is all the news we now before we head over to our netflix discussion we're going to have a quick talk about actually what the biggest news was that's happened since our recent uh, for since our last podcast was the trailer and re- news of resident evil village gold edition to live a normal life. But we all gathered round watching the latest news that is Resident Evil Village. And at last we have some DLC news and updates coming in on the 28th of October. Resident Evil Village Gold Edition. So this is the third game, I believe, that has the Gold Edition tag. And what do you get with a Gold Edition pre-order? Well, for $50 or £50, you unlock and have access to 
the Shadows of Rose DLC, which is the planned story mode DLC. I think that was, that was advertised last September, was it? It's quite a long time ago now. So you've got Shadows of Rose DLC, which we'll talk about in a second. You've got a new Mercenaries mode, or at least an amendment to, to, to Mercenaries, and a new trailer dropped subsequently, uh, showing that you can now play as Heisenberg, Chris, and Lady Dimitrescu, who can summon her, her little daughter, Minion Bug Things. Um, which is good. Uh, more, impo- more, most importantly, I think there's also a third person mode that was uh, advertised, so you'll be able to play the entire game in third person. Now, whether this is true third person remains to be seen. We can have a chat about that, and then uh, there's some also some additional costumes for Rose as well. So, what do you want to talk about first? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in with the third person mode. It's going to be really interesting to see because there's a few times in the game where there's cheats that the game does. For like for example in the opening lichen battle uh when you complete the requirement it is to, to let the cutscene kick in ethan will be teleported you'll be grabbed sort of by the throat by a lichen you get thrown and then you'll always land in the same place in in the map so the lichens on horseback and everything can come, come up to the screen and everything like that that's going to be really jarring in third person if it's not changed in any kind of capacity so whether it'll jump to first person for that moment or whatever. It's also going to be interesting to see what will happen with regards to whether it's just literally a camera planted over Ethan's shoulder. And it will always stay there irrespective of where he faces. Because in like Resident Evil 2 and 3 Remake, if you, ru- if you like back away, your character will turn and run toward the camera. Well obviously that'll, that'll knacker the Ethan has no face gag. Mm. Um, what, what they're going to do, just have him headless or something like that. So it's going to be, I'm, I'm intrigued to see it. I'm less happy it's locked into the gold edition because I do see this as an accessibility option, to be honest. I know this is going to be a gateway to people who have motion sickness problems with first person games, and this really should potentially be a part of the free accessibility update that's going to launch on the same day. There's going to be like new ways you can tailor the audio and the subtitle options yeah. and things like that. And I do think this should possibly launch with that as a part of the free update no i agree i agree um i i think this has been a nice i said free free bonus for everyone but yeah i'm, I'm interested i said the game goes out of its way not to show his face the time including up to the point where they really should have shown his face at the very end so we'll see we'll see mercenaries anyone in- interested in that I, I never really play those modes but I'd imagine it'd be a bit more been expanded, but ultimately it's 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 a lesser version of mercenaries. It must say it's more akin to a sort of raid mode, and mm. it's not even a comparable raid mode to that. I, I would say it's I nice would say it's expanded. more back to an older battle mode, really, more than anything else. Yeah, um, like maybe yeah. the original. It's more more in tune with the original mercenaries that was on the on RE three more than anything else. It's nice it's been expanded, and this is kind of content that really should have been there in the first place, because launching a Mercenaries bonus game with just one character and a priest, you know, and barely a loadout, and it was weird. It was a weird game mode that felt very last minute, so if they've been able to expand it in a considerable way, again, it's debatable whether you should have to pay for that for what was such a bare-bones experience in the first place, but it, it is what it is. We're about to get to the meat, I guess. Well, yeah, so, so the main thing is Shadows of Rose DLC, which it, it confirms a number of points. It confirms that we're having a big time jump. So we're shifting up to, what, 2037 um, when it takes place. So this is this is when the end of Village, when uh, Rose goes to visit Ethan's grave. It must take place fairly shortly after that. You can infer from the trailer that she breaks into a, a laboratory of some description 
You have a sample of the megamocyte, and due to its functioning of being able to store memories and dead people that were absorbed by the fungus, by the by the megamocyte, and the fact that Rose is basically a perfect moulded creature, she is subconsciously zapped into its memories. It's a very, very safe way of doing an expansion and bringing back people like Lady Dimitrescu, who I'm sure they're desperate to bring back. But on the flip side, I think, as I said, you can, we can kind of work out what's going to happen, give or take, because the main focal point is that she wants to get rid of these powers. She doesn't like them. And and she's been promised by Michael, isn't it? Michael, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 there is a way of getting rid of them. Who Michael is, we don't know. Could be a long dead resident of the village. It's going to end with her having a nice heart-to-heart with Ethan. I mean, we, we don't, Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be fine. And I think from that point, this is something I've, I've always said about Village. It is totally off the balmy. But I actually think Ethan's story is wonderful in Village. I think it's a real high point and I, I still maintain it. So I think this is going to complement it quite well. My concern is that this is going to be com- very, very self-contained to a point where come Batman's revision of his timeline, it's just going to be Rose enters into a lab and subconsciously absorbed into the megamocyte. She loses her powers. The end. Because everything that happens in this, in in the subconscious, doesn't happen in real life. Um, I just, unless there is some exposition somewhere, this is basically Survivor 2 all over again. Yeah, and, and there's a danger that the, um, and I've seen a few people discuss this, and I can't help but disagree, that the DLC is basically just going to be an opening cutscene, and then for what amounts to be just like a battle mode or a ghost survivor sort of thing, and then an ending cutscene. Which you know, and, and within those opening and endings, there'll be like genuine decent content. But in terms of like an overall experience, it's going to be very brief. And and I hope it. I really hope it isn't. I hope we've got like another not a hero on our hands and things like that. But it it it's 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 a cheat in it. They do this sort of tantalising tease of oh you know we've we've leapt forward in the timeline and we get, we can potentially see the world as it's going to be in fifteen years time. You know, or however long it is. 18 years, I can't remember the figure. Um, but we, we, we're potentially going to see like older version of our characters. But no, what we're going to do is we're going to have Rose enter a hallucinogenic hive mind sort of thing, where we can just depict events as they were, and we don't have to. And we don't have to show the world that you maybe want to see. We don't have to show an aging Chris or an aging Jill or anything like that because it's just all Rose experiencing Ethan's memories or whatever. So you're just getting the same environments all over again. It's it's you know it feels a bit of a cheat. Yeah. I don't really know what anyone was expecting from the village DLC, but I'm almost certain to say it wasn't this. So in that, I you know I kind of <laughs> respect the boldness of uh, you know using Rose as the main character and stuff like that. I think that's kind of neat and should be commended because they could have very easily just done you know a Lady D DLC. Or whatever. Yeah, I, I still thought they were going to go down the Elena route. Yeah, it would have been nice. I'd have loved to have seen a, rest- a restoration of that lost villager content. But uh, before bringing in Rob, the, the the only point that I'm I'm mildly interested in, um, because I wrote it for the website, was the talk about the Duke. So he was always 
rumoured or depicted as being like the fifth lord and he's he's absolutely massive I think there's some pictures of him in terms of his size next to Ethan he's absolutely gigantic so he's clearly infected with the with the Megamasite with the Kadu or whatever you want to call it and he's back in this he's back in Shadows of Rose so whether he is dead already um, and you know as part of that or he's got some type of control or manipulation over the Megamasite that's that's the only thing I'm interested quite interested in to see if there's that because that could add to the law you know just to, just to expand upon the very limitation of rose uh, rose did this brilliant because none of the enemies are canon you know we're not going to be expanding upon how the megamasite works other than you know in terms of like the creatures you know it's got zombies in it but you know they're not real you know they're not real so rob what is what what are your thoughts of shadows of rose i guess you guys have mostly covered what my thoughts were i'm i'm intrigued to see what they do with the idea but I suspect that yeah much like you're saying it may not really amount to much in a, in a long term narrative sense but I mean realistically the DLCs that they put out for these sometimes is also Sean alluded to you, you never know what to expect because like yeah not a hero ended up being I mean it was obviously retooled but it became quite an interesting DLC, piece of DLC I, I'm not ex- super excited but I'm not unexcited about it as well I think I'm just mildly curious to see where it goes and obviously I will pick up the um the, the DLC or the the gold edition but um but yeah I, I I'm not I can't I'm, I'm kind of sitting on the fence really. <laughs> they don't think there's going to be anything else a surprise announced surprise mode. No 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 I think they've announced everything that they they need to now they've announced also this free update for, for the main game for for it. you know I think there's a clear opportunity to have actually quite a good separate way style with Chris you know you could have done quite a lot up to the point where you know they meet him in you know meet Ethan. In Moreau's Lake, and then beyond, alas, can't we can't all we can't all get what we want sometimes? But there we go. So we yes, right, Nick, how dare you demand this? I demand yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's coming out on twenty eighth of October. We'll obviously be doing um, our our review of Gold Edition when it comes out. Uh, we're bringing you our thoughts on that, and then I suppose you know it'll be a good opportunity to kind of look at over the overall impact of Village, where it sits in the in, in the kind of franchise, bringing that just because I suspect, based on what we've discussed today, anyway, that the DLC is going to be quite self-contained so it's not going to have major consequences on unlike say not a hero and end of zone which did bring a lot more to the table so we'll have a nice good discussion on gold edition going forward so uh, that brings our sub discussion to an end we now turn our attention to why you're all here of course to listen to our thoughts on resident evil on netflix introducing joy (laughs) joy can be a miracle pill an antidepressant that cures OCD, lowers anxiety, and increases focus. But the drug contains the T-virus. And the T-virus can make monsters. Right, welcome one and all, Resident Evil Netflix 
It's been in production for a while. It's been released to the world, a gluttony of eight episodes, nearly an hour apiece, showcasing the world of Billy and Jade Wesker, Albert Wesker clones, Evelyn Marcus, a new umbrella in the future, two time zones. There's so much going on. Where, where to begin? Let's start with some initial overall thoughts. Romby, I want to start with you as our kind of uh, some, someone who's more attuned to the to the movie industry and the production uh, side of things. How, how did you feel uh, Resident Evil translated into its Netflix production? I think for me, it's a very mixed bag. There, are, there's some stuff in there that I was like, oh, this is really cool, and then there's a lot of things where I'm just like, what were they? Thinking? thinking i think um consistently i i I question some of the internal narrative decisions and production decisions writing was a lot of what i would class and this is kind of a thing of um of them kind of spending a lot of time with dialogue where showing it would have been a lot easier or more interesting and i think the run times of the episodes were perhaps a tad too long rather than an hour they should have been about 40 minutes max i think the cast was good i think they just were quite often given some very ropey dialogue that was quite verbose and you know i think the visual effects were reasonably pretty good across the board um barring a couple of little things and i expect that of most productions these days that you're not going to have flawless cg everywhere because of all the issues that the industry faces and generally though i kind of got found it a bit of a slog by the end to get through it was it was tough by the end i didn't find uh, you know an interest in it and i think part of that was maybe the jumping back and forth narratively kind of reveals that were supposed to be seemingly shocking on one level but then because you hadn't quite set them up in the other narrative they weren't as shocking as they should be and and so across the board it was very i found it a difficult watch and i i kind of err on the side of like well it was an interesting idea but i think maybe one season will be it and I'd be fine with that. Okay, interesting. George, what's your preliminary thoughts? Similar to Rombi, a, a mixed bag, because this show did do a lot of what I want to see in a Resident Evil adaptation. Uh, I particularly enjoyed the, the stories and, and the narratives we've got with, with the survivors. You know, we had that on the, you know, on the Escape Through the Channel Tunnel, that section. I thought it was some of the best representations we had of B.O.W.s on the screen that we've seen. I, I agree with a lot of what Wombi was saying. You know, it's a mixed bag. There were some extremely jarring, unnecessary scenes, you know, odd choices of dialogue. Not necessarily, you know, some of the some of the things that seem to have, you know, a lot of people have found really objectionable that, that I just simply didn't. I thought it was a fantastic cast. I thought they did the best with what they had. I thought there were some very interesting takes on the whole, you know, umbrella situation and actually seeing an Albert Wesker and, and, and the pressure, you know, that, that he was under, you know, family-wise, professionally-wise. And I really enjoyed all of that. I think each episode could have been tightened up absolutely with a, you know, with a shorter runtime. But I think unlike a lot of, you know, kind of the fury we've seen in, in, in certain sections of the community, I didn't allow the things that I found objectionable in, in this series to get in the way of the things that I thought were done very, very well. And I th- there were many things about this series that I think took it a Above anything that Paul Anderson has done. From my point of view, my, my biggest criticism was that tonally it was all over the place at times. And I think by episode two, I found myself nearly falling asleep. And that doesn't happen often with television shows, especially ones that I want to be successful. 
Um, we have a we don't have a vested interest, but general expansion of the Biohazard franchise is good. I, I, I found it a bit boring in places. Lots of things I did enjoy, um, and the BOWs being a particular highlight from my point of view. And I didn't mind some of the performances as well. I like some of the characters, and I think some of earlier fears, because there had been rumours flying around about the Wesker twins and Billy and Jay and it all sounded terrible on paper but I I I thought they I thought they were solid that was certainly one component I enjoyed and we'll come to the storyline in a minute because I think structurally there were issues and I want to kind of dig into them but before we do that I want to hear Sean's uh, Stars Tyrant your your kind of preliminary views hang on a minute I'm just uh I'm just um just opening an an envelope hang on a minute It's, uh, it's it looks like a check of some sort it's got Capcom's name on it I thought the show was wonderful. I think it's the best activity <laughs> that it's ever had. Um, there isn't even sure any touch to it. Cheek doesn't say con- Constantin Films, say Constantin Television, well, not Capcom. Y- you know, since I've been labelled a shill lately, um, <laughs> may as well embrace it. No, um, I'm, I'm going to try and be as constructive as, as I can, but we'll get into the details and everything, um, obviously, as we break it down. Uh, for my initial impression, I will just say that as I've been scouring the waves of the internet, I've seen it's actually landed quite well with a lot of people, certainly on sort of my socials and my timeline, people I follow, as it seems to have had quite a warm reception it doesn't work for me in nearly every capacity going i'm afraid (laughs) um and i will try and be as constructive as i can but one of the biggest things i have to say about it is a little bit it sort of echoes what nick said tonally and i have i'm very critical when it comes to tone because i think tone is one of the hardest things to balance and this is one of the worst examples of balancing tone i can think of in a long time um, and I'll go into that in some detail. I've got some examples I want you to listen to um, of how to do it. Um, and hopefully you can try and understand where I'm coming from. Uh, and more than anything, I just find the entire show wholly unremarkable. Um, I'm, I'm always one who's always pushing for the series to try new ideas, try and, you know, sort of not repeat what's come before. So in that, I will give this show some props for at least trying and attempting to do something different with the brand. Uh, you know, I, I think that is commendable and that is something to be celebrated. However, this is not it for me uh, in really any capacity. I found myself not only finding it a chore to get through, like by the time I was sort of three or four episodes into it, I, I just thought this is this is hard work. The main thing I was constantly asking myself as I was being literally, you know, bludgeoned by the tonal whiplash, I just constantly asked myself, and I still don't have an answer, Who who actually is this made for? this this tv Mm. show who is it made for because if you want like zombie post-apocalyptic action there's a wealth of choices out there which do it far better and if you're looking for like teen angst drama then likewise there's so many better excuse better examples out there and when you sort of clash them together in the way that they have here i just don't think it it necessarily caters to anyone and i think that's the the biggest sort of sin it does is that i don't think it it really I say this as I've like started off with the caveat that I, I see it's been received quite warmly by a lot of people. So what do I know? It doesn't work for me, and I'm going to get into the tone shortly. I'm going to say the same thing with some of those things that I didn't want to bring up in the opening, but it is a question that I wanted to bring up later on, which is really what is the point of the series? Like, Who's it appealing to? Why and where did the thought process come to come to this version of, of what show is so um yeah i'd be very interested to see what everyone thinks about that later on and i quickly add because that kind of goes to something i wanted to mention in the intro about the two timelines because i think 
like we yeah. have in the more recent games that you know you look at village and you've kind of got a, a multitude of kind of gameplay types and genres you know survival horror and you know has been event over you you know they've got the heisenberg stuff and maybe that this this is what the show is trying to do and making it maybe for a more broader audience because you've got you know i enjoyed the two timelines you know we've seen it in witcher and, and, and westworld and i really do enjoy that when you've almost got a puzzle box in trying to link the two timelines together and so you had kind of like the second timeline that was more kind of action based, whereas in the, you know, in the uh, in the first timeline, it's kind of more kind of slow paced. And I didn't mind the slow pace. I've seen other people say what Neptune said, that they fell asleep after the second episode. But I actually thought it gave us time to kind of have character building and then to kind of go through, kind of live with with Billy as she's kind of descending that, you know, drain of. From humanity in, into a zombie, and I've seen people say that this this flashback structure drains the momentum of of the action focused you know timeline in in 2036. I didn't find that at all. My only issue with the two timelines was I thought the whole point of this is the first timeline the point of that was to show you the catalyst of how we got to that post-apocalyptic yes you know narrative in the second time but unless i was missing something i think maybe with that that tyrant arm at the end that was patient joe but we didn't actually did it it was very muddled in terms of what actually did you agree in terms of what actually was the catalyst for for the we outbreak? don't know we no. don't know that you, you, you could assume if it, if it only ends with one series you can assume that the explosion possibly caused the leak who knows but no the actual outbreak so to speak was never categorically defined it's an interesting segue um so the first kind of thing i wanted to talk about was the storyline so as you've mentioned there g2 we've got two timelines going on we've got 2022 in new raccoon city and then we've got 2036 which starts off in london but so we're kind of like northern europe part of the world where i think I think they say 100 million people left, I think, in the world by 2036. Um, but other, otherwise, we've got another kind of Resident Evil extinction style extinction uh, that, that's going on and, and, and that kind of survival. I, I, do, I do wonder why they, 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 they did the, 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 two, the two timelines when, as you say, we didn't get that. It didn't wrap itself up. It almost felt like, oh, we're definitely getting a second series and... We'll come, you know. We'll discuss later on in our in 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 the podcast whether we think there will be a second one. But they they didn't actually wrap up any of the mystery, if you like, of that. There's bigger narrative issues than that within the two timeline structures. I mean, yeah, that is a big one that the the, the whole seemingly whole point of jumping these two timelines is to explain what would happen that led up to the events in the other. Hmm. But there's internal disconnect with like reveals. Like the classic one is when uh, the the Billy Jade reveal with the helicopter. You know, and all of a sudden she turns up. The old, you know, his Jade. But hang on, wait, they're still together in the past, so it kind of falls flat. And she's not like she's dead. It's not like it's a giant like oh my god, she's still alive reveal. <laughs> but the show treats it like it is because as if the, there was a narrative disconnect in the, the script. No, where you're you right know, in a. In a, in a soap opera kind of mentality, you could have easily set that up where it seemed like she was, she did actually die in your story narrative in the past. And then the reveal is that in the present, she's still alive. And then you flash back to the past and you see how she didn't die. And it's like, oh, that's a good way. It doesn't do it. And it's it, the, the, that sort of thing happens a few times through this jumping back and forth where it's like they tried to set up like what should have been a, like a shocking reveal or an end of the episode cliffhanger and it just falls flat. And then you, when you do that, you lose narrative tension, you lose viewer engagement, you lose interest because you're just like, well, there's no shocking reveal there. Like, I'm not, it's not really doing anything for me. Yeah. And there's a lot of plodding and pacing around that just to set up to full flat. 
and then you're wasting time in a narrative like it, and it's just the problem there is a lot of like um really un unrequited for, for lack of a better term like it's just unrequited plotting you set something up and then it fails to pay off i, I just want to quickly say i really agree with that because one of the things that i just you cannot defend at all was you know baxter you know that line you, you know your sister's looking for you and the, the the actor playing Jade, she sort of gives this look, this shocked look, like it's a, it's a reveal for her and it's a reveal for us. But then, you know, there's that confusion. She seems to, she then has that discussion when she meets Billy that she was actually aware that she was alive. And that's just, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's unforgivable. I mean, that's just basic storytelling. The thing that I see across the board with it is just a very poor overview and I, and I don't want to blame the writers per se it's not like specifically they've written something bad but it just really needed a better tighter hold of what the whole arc for their season was going to be and why you jump back and forth between these narrative timelines and picking out the pacing i think the show and i've said this to other people would have benefited where the first two episodes stayed more in tune with what they actually were so like the first episode was maybe wholly placed in the the post-apocalyptic thing except for maybe what one little jump at the end or not at all and then the second episode would be back at the start of the narrative and it stayed with that and then progressively as you got through the episode you added more of this jumping back and forth where it made sense to do so on a narrative beat rather than as it is sometimes in the show seemingly haphazardly just because we have to end the scene and we need to jump somewhere else for me fundamentally as well the timeline that the split timeline structure fails because i don't believe and i don't know whether this is down to the, the writing not being up to par or the acting not being up to par, or just simply like the blocking and how the you know director works with the directors works with with the cast, but I don't, and it's maybe just me, but I don't believe the fact that the characters in the past and the future or whichever way we're around we're saying it are the same people. I think there's a really big disconnect, somewhat deliberately, I suppose, in Billy's sense, because you get none of the sort of story that shapes the per the woman she's going to be when she's older. But that to me just creates a massive disconnect between us and the audience. We're just told that you know Billy is this person now, but because of that, because there's been this massive gap i don't feel she's the same character and that's kind of when it when your narrative is jumping between like two timelines if that fundamentally breaks down straight away then you're having to sort of tell your brain that this is how it's supposed to be and you're not really sort of sitting in and enjoying it and absorbing it as much as you should be because you've got this kind it's of this whiplash you know and by not explaining mm, yeah. how billy became a villain it's like a massive heel turn that i don't think it reminded yeah. me, funnily enough, of the jump between yeah. Star Wars Episode 1 to Episode 2, when we had to basically re-establish our connection with a new Anakin actor, with that it may as well have just been, you know, starting with Episode 2, the, pre the prequel trilogy. It kind of makes Jake Lloyd's work kind of moot, and I kind of I feel the same way a little bit about the actors in this. I think we're having to try and, like, learn two versions of this character in in a show that I don't think has has clever, cleverly woven it enough into its narrative to sell it. Well, the... I was about to say this. This is the thing that you've got is that we don't we 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 don't have that connect. We don't know very much about the the time between those two events, and the show doesn't go in its way to kind of explain a lot of that because not only it's the stuff that obviously they were I guess setting up for another season. You've got what what happened with Billy and Jade. Like Billy has a daughter with someone, but not the person who she's talking to because he's the stepdad. And we're like, so this has clearly got a narrative here. And we and is it is it that were they trying to originally set it up that it was the guy who's in the school oh wait no he dies 
So clearly it's not, but I didn't think early that early on it was ever going to be him anyway, because there's going to be an apocalypse, so the chances of him dying were pretty high <laughs> anyway, even if he hadn't been shot in the face. And the same thing with, with Jade as well. It was like, there's that disconnect between trying to figure out how, like, yeah, okay, so she it goes a little bit crazy because of the virus and occasionally goes off the rails and punches people and stuff. That, that's a big jump between that and Monopoly. Michael's supervillain mm. literally puppeteering <laughs> literally puppeteering the um the, the the bad guys and creating this entire mess uh, almost out of vengeance can I'm, I'm with you Sean 100% there just isn't a connection between these versions there could be you could write it and make it feel easier but there isn't and they and squander any chances to do so well it's, it's it's a shame because they took the time and that's one of the things perhaps that i enjoyed where other people felt the pace was too slow because it's you know obviously i want to feel the empathy for these characters and i i enjoyed the fact that we got backstories and we got build up and we saw relationships building and we saw relationships under pressure so they took the time to build that up particularly you know i was enjoying seeing the relationship between uh, billy and jade but then, as you say, there was no, yeah, there was no reward for that. We didn't actually get to, you know, that we weren't fulfilled. We didn't get to see that. Obviously, they're setting that up for a second season, but there's no point setting that up for a second season if our interest is already lost because the first season is so unsatisfying. And uh, they definitely set up questions that they then failed to answer. I think a point both of you have raised in, in um, about the 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 structure there and and the characterizations. You could argue that it's the other way around. So in 2022 you've got billy being quite determined to find out what's going on with umbrella she sees the rabbits you know follow the white rabbit whatever you know and and he's determined to find out you know that the mysteries of umbrella where jay's like whatever leave it alone you know new life let's you start and then you've kind of got this role reversal in 2032 or whatever 2036 with jay uh, jade being the determined one and then when they do find out that stuff's going on and they run back to the house and we have that very long episode of Finders Keepers, you know, Jade's like, you know, Billy goes, all right, well, yes, clearly there's something going on, but don't worry about it. And then, and then, and then Jade's suddenly like, no, we've got to do something. It's very odd. Big shift all over the place. And you, as, you, as Sean says, you've kind of got to mentally prepare yourself for, you know, this is what's going to happen. And as I said, as George says, I think there was plans. There clearly was plans for more things to flesh this out more at more seasons, and it could that could be a, the downfall of of this. But I mean, just kind of going back to the the, the overall storyline, we can talk about the canon later. But <laughs> <laughs> but this this is twenty twenty two. The the back the games are its backstory. Okay, and. Um, we're in New Raccoon City. Uh, Umbrella are still around, and I think that's made quite abundantly clear that it's the same Umbrella that are, that is mentioned. We've got uh, now. Now it's run by Evelyn Marcus, who I thought was actually a really cool character. But we'll come to that. Um, oh, Paula Nunez was fantastic. She, I just she, think that. Yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so it's kind of ran by her, or I don't know. At times it's kind of implied it, that there are other people higher up. I think as well. You know, it's almost like this Umbrella is this almost like a you know. Skynet type organization, I think, you know, anyway, and you know, and they're looking to rebuild their relationship. And got, their, I want to come PR. back to that, Nick. I really do want to come back to that. Okay, point, yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. They're trying Umbrella. to rebuild their PR and that they're, they're riding everything on joy, this new wonder drug th- that basically cures anxiety and depression and makes everyone uh, quite happy. And we saw the effects of that in um, 
Evelyn's wife uh, basically makes them a zombie. The only time the the Z word is used, yeah, uh, which is quite amusing. But um, and that's the uh, kind of prem- that's the kind of premise, isn't it? Of, of... <laughs> I just heard someone just sigh. <laughs> that was me. Oh, well. I just, I'm just so, knew that the writers were like, I'm I'm just going to jump out of this for a second. You Is that know two that on the, the nose? writers when they're writing that. No, it wasn't that there was two on the nose. They were like, uh, it's going to be real funny when we actually use the Z word, but it's only going to be for this one character because they're actually acting like a zombie. But the zombies that we have aren't zombies; they're zeros. It's so funny. <laughs> I can just imagine that in a writer's room. Like, I'm sorry, and and, and that's true. I mean, that's exactly. It is actually kind of like a, a, a almost a a funny narrative concept in it but it just it, it, again it fell flat for me i was just like are you kidding me really mm. like and then it was as you said george a little on the nose as a general point on the writing um we should say in its defense um you know i don't know if you what you guys have referred to this as i've said adaptation and, and representation it actually it's specifically the word used they said that inspired by the game so it never went out actually to be, you know, an adaptation to actually be, you know, a direct. You know, uh, see, this is this is the this is the issue I have inherently, and someone and people brought this up, and it's created a lot of debate. And I'm sorry, Nick, to derail this, but I'm going to bring this up now because I think it's a. No, I started topic. it. Sorry. Inherent, yeah, no, it's a, in, inherently that's true, and I saw that too. I saw that in the credits, inspired by um, Capcom's video game Resident Evil. The problem is that's not how it was marketed. That's not how the showrunner for lack of a better term, because he's not listed as showrunner, but he's listed as, yep. what is he listed as? A developed and written, he writes certain episodes, Andrew Dabb. Um, Dabb literally went out there and said, the game's continuity before the events of this take place, it, it's, it's, it's not that it's inspired by the games, it follows the game's narrative to set up its world. That is not true. And it would be better just saying it is inspired 100%. And from, from that perspective, by actually labeling it as such in the show, I'm much more happy than what how it was marketed or how it was discussed as what it, how it fit. Um, because when when you break down elements of it, and it clearly can't. And, and, that, and that's fine. I don't actually mind that. I would much happier be inspired and slightly adapted. And I don't mind them taking the ideas of canon events and putting them in there, I just think that they need to establish the idea that they're their own version. Like this was an alternative universe history of the events that happened in Umbrella's Downfall and their version of the Raccoon City events happened and this is what happened in 2022 in their versions of events. And it would be much more sensible to just market it as that, saying this is our take on the timeline of the franchise i agree and we'll we'll probably touch on it a bit a bit later yeah. on yeah there's, there's yeah. more to that sorry to bring it up really <laughs> that's next, fine george just no. set me off uh, after i decide <laughs> about zombies so what was what i found just quite interesting that uh, as i said there was a nice nod nice reference to the fact that umbrella were very much in cahoots with the u.s government that's been established in a lot of the supplements <sighs> yeah i'm gonna break it again no no no, <laughs> no i'm gonna say no. no we're gonna wait because this is an overall storyline either you know i know this. it's i know it's that not bug, that, know. Bug, that bugged the shit out of me i was like <laughs> no you've been a pharmaceutical company before stop it <laughs> This shows, this, shows gonna gonna, this shows broken the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that I, really bugged me. That really, really bugged me. That did. I know, I know. But anyway, they, they, they've been working with the US government. Anyway, clearly the Raccoon City incident and what was going on in um, Tijuana in Mexico was being hushed, hushed and covered up. Uh, and they were pushing this joy drug, which oddly contained the T virus. Now, 
I understand from the TV point of view why why they did it. You know, even Paul Anderson's used the T virus as a medicinal product that regenerate. I think it was called. They're really cool marketing they did for it with the with the uh, with the dogs and the, you know some side effects may occur. And then the yeah, fake commercial, yeah, the fake commercial. That was really cool. So they've obviously taken that that route as well. And although it's in a very micro dosage version of 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 the T virus, that's the, that's the premise. And you can I mean you can put a couple of you know things together and work out well obviously the t they've got samples of the t virus and that's what eventually leaks i just i just wonder whether given everything that's happened that was enough of a hook and i wondered why whether you thought from a storyline point of view making the t virus a medicinal product in light of the fact that they are covering up what happened in Tijuana and obviously old Raccoon City, was do you think that was that was sensible? Do you think that was enough about new, new people to watch and go, okay, I get it. It's got it's got something in it, but then there's not a lot of information about what the T virus does. I suppose again, you have to kind of look at the twenty thirty six. See, a lot of the time you're looking at this and it's slightly jarring because you're thinking, you know, this is this is absolutely, you know, r- ridiculous. I mean, wh- why are you returning to the source of your previous catastrophe? But again, it's almost, you know, the, the gamer in me that's, that's seen employee after employee of Umbrella, you know, Mr. Careless in the file. You know, they're, they're losing keys. <laughs> you know, they're, they're a mess. And I, I don't know. It, Umbrella are, aren't known, are they, for their organisation? And... I don't know that that's part of the the, the the gamey kind of side of the narrative that I'm I'm, I'm quite happy to run okay, with. Good stars. What about you? Did you did you think the the kind of general premise of a new Raccoon City was solid enough? Uh, with with joy being this, I mean, it's a bit, I remember we we discussed the trailer fairly recently in that kind of odd teddy bear thing and the kind of sinister side of trying to sell joy to kids as well there we go what did you think yeah i mean if you disconnect it from the 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 game's canon which is very easy to do we've done it you know we've had many years of practice for this now so that's not actually a problem um i don't actually mind some of the concepts in there um i actually think the aesthetic of new raccoon is quite interesting and i found it very black mirror-esque at times obviously not done with the same level of execution or anything like that but i still thought it was an interesting interesting enough sort of environment the sort of falseness of it found quite good and it reminded me of that um i'm gonna need your help here rob the jesse eisenberg movie zombie where Land. they move is it vivarium or something like that i'm thinking the zombie ones uh yeah, vivarium, yeah they move they, into the, a, a, the a very false neighborhood where everything looks the same big... and yeah it reminded me of that and i thought that was right. pretty good um so yeah i mean like i said like i said in my opening i think um you know in terms of trying something different with this brand that hasn't been done before was was bold I just think beyond that is where it, it sort of falters at times dramatically. I do agree. The I, I really like New Raccoon City. It was eerie. And I think the director used some quite interesting camera angles when they're in the car, you know, they're kind of going around almost like a tour, seeing groups of families just standing there. Uh, but they're all under this this umbrella, if you like. And it's all, it is very odd. And was, that was good. I really like that. Yeah. No, I, I enjoyed that. It was very much, I won't go too much about it because I don't think it's a show too many people have seen, but it was very much like if you guys have seen Severance, I don't know if you're the uh, Ben Stiller show where your your memories between your work and your outside life are severed. So your your working self is not aware of what you do when you're outside of work. And the neighbourhoods with which the employees live in are very much that kind of sterile corporate looking oh, okay. building. And it gives a real, I mean, this, this is what I liked about the setup of Umbrella in this series. It's, you know, Umbrella Shadows, 
you know, cast, you know, over all of its employees and, and that, and, you know, not just in the corporate life, but, you know, the outside life as well. You know, you've got the CCTV surveillance, not just within the umbrella facility, but, you know, in everyone's houses, mm-hmm. um, you know, umbrella's influence is extending, you know, uh, so I enjoyed that. I, I struggled with, and this is where I thought I, I found it a bit a dull. And, and this is where absolutely what Sean said in his introduction, it wasn't really, I'm not sure who this was tailored towards. I, I, I didn't like the bits in the school and it was the kind of teenage angst bit apart from apart from wesker's takedown of uh, the the bully's father which i was just lance reddick was sensational in that scene (laughs) um i think everyone i think everyone liked that scene quite immensely but my issue with it and someone else brought this up on the discord before i had the chance to was that literally it was like the writer of that scene had seen the funny or die short that Riddick was in um, called uh, Toys Are Me, and basically when yeah I've seen him do this, we can definitely get him doing like a rant, like basically owning someone as a fit, as their boss and fit it into the narrative because it literally is a, almost a version of that with maybe less swearing. Um, yes. But if anyone hasn't seen it, go on uh, YouTube and look for Toys Are Me Lance Riddick and it'll come up and you'll see the similarities and, and, and that's it you're playing to a strength and it was a very good scene um, where basically you know um, future Pornhub um, employee gets absolutely ripped to shred to him <laughs> I thought it was the first time we saw proper Albert Wesker yes that's what that I thought yeah. yeah. up to that point he was very much uh, you know on the kind of research side of thing that was the first time you kind of saw that okay there's something underneath but what did it i mean this was very much marketed as well as a kind of like teenage coming of age teenage angst you know we've got billy the vegan you know you know very modern and all that and you know trying to you know try to take on the establishment of these big corporations i said i just i struggled i just struggled with the with it with with the school bits i felt they dragged on more than anything else um, I wasn't particularly interested in who was beating beating up Billy or trying to beat up Billy just because you can, didn't fit in. I, I was a lot more interested in the sister dynamic and their, investig- their investigative skills in, in, in trying to find out what their dad was doing and getting catching wind of that. But for me, the, the, the kind of school bit, I, I felt we, we didn't necessarily need. I think if they'd played the school bit a little differently and it had taken... <laughs> at least half of the amount of time then i would have been okay with it yeah that was the thing i think for me which was the most jarring and and for a lot of people um that went with a lot of the things that this show was doing differently that was just a step too far and they found very jarring just again you guys mentioned it before because because of the tone you know it's sort of you know raccoon city 90210 and or you know it made me feel almost I, i started actually singing to myself versions of the brady bunch theme uh, and that I was actually writing my own lyrics to involving the whisker bunch. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was actually going to start singing it as my opening for this podcast, but I thought I'd better not. Just Nick would have to edit it all out. Yeah, no, and 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 and, and I'm really that just hit a crescendo of almost finding it nauseating when you had the whole skateboard scene. But it's a shame because I was I was running with that narrative and that, and also with the time that they were allowing for that relationship to develop and for us to see it on the screen. I, I had invested in that and I was happy to give that, to give it my time. But yeah, just the tone and the level. I think it was when I was enjoying the first two episodes and I think it was almost like when, you know, like when Eve gives Adam the apple and he just suddenly wakes up and they realise they're naked and they suddenly realise what they're doing. And when the bully shoved the sandwich, you know, the burrito into to Billy's face and I, I, that, yeah, I just kind of jumped up and thought, hold on a minute, hold, because I was enjoying almost everything up to that point and I just, suddenly thought george what the fuck 
<laughs> Look what you're watching. There are examples in, in media where you can expertly balance like teen angst with, you know, a horror setting or using it as laden with metaphor. You know, I like a little show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which did it, you know, quite exceptionally and is still discussed today as being sort of landmark in that area. And even more recently with things like Stranger Things has explored those kind of, you know, horror meets teenagers growing up and it, and it, you know they all do it kind of masterfully and this just never seemed to want to go too far in any direction to actually it, allow it to be meaningful in any kind of capacity and and the moment like the the, the story needed to go for a shit you know to go for a shift because we needed to get a move on everything just kind of gets forgotten about and you know the school issues are just neatly resolved in a little bow and and then you're just told to forget about them and then you know they spend a lot of time in that skateboarding scene scene you know because obviously we're going to lose billy and then we don't and then it's just kind of it's just also it's just it, it lacks the conviction to really explore those avenues in a way that's meaningful yeah as i said earlier it's also a lot of these things they kind of as you correctly say they go in one direction thinking it's for this reason and then either gets wrapped up or it's completely forgotten about or not addressed because second season or whatever. And so your your interest in, 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 in it kind of starts to wane more the more it goes on. I, I still also agree that, yeah, like there are definitely examples of show types like this done much better, and, but I still can't figure out who this was for for that same reason. Like it's, it's a TV show based on a franchise that's 26 years old. You're obviously going to have adult fans. There's horror and adult themes in there. But then you've also got this young adult kind of cliches, you know, with the school and all that sort of stuff and and sort of dialogue that I don't know who it's supposed to appeal to. Maybe I'm just that out of touch. <laughs> Made um, me feel old. You know, and... Zootopia porn and, and Zootopia porn and all that sort of stuff. Like, I don't mind the references. I don't mind the music. Like, totally makes sense. If you're going to see the, a show with um, kids of, of, of today at in year two, 2022 then i expect that music of this day is going to be relevant to their situation I'm, i don't have any issues with that some people obviously do i just think like it's more about a lot again going back to the writer's room going back to the scale what but even even beyond that when you got the rights to this like i mean constant has the rights but they were in what's the angle we're going to go did they take information from netflix about like what the sort of interest was what you know what is the point of the series what does it say what does it want to say what makes it unique and interesting and different and um why is it using this license and all these things are much bigger questions because they inform all these bits of decisions later on down the track and I feel that's probably the biggest crime. I don't feel like anyone ever took a step back and went, hmm, is this when, the right angle we need to take? I have a quick question. So I just have a very quick question for the panel and for our Discord community, maybe. Am I am I the only one of us here <laughs> who had to Google what Zootopia porn actually was? I mean, I presumed it had something to make it. <laughs> To be honest, GT, this this is right on the money for you. For me, personally, it was. No, hang on. For me, personally, it was self-explanatory, and I didn't need to look it up. <laughs> I'm a 45 year old man who literally did not know what. Okay, so was. Do, 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 you know, do you know rule 34 of the no. internet? Okay, so rule 34 of the internet, this is very relevant to this conversation, rule 34 mm. of the internet implies that whatever, and there is a thing, there is a porn version of that thing. So there is well, like Resident Evil to porn, do, yeah. there is Utopia porn, yeah. there is, you know, so that's what rule 34 is. Cat, so that's cat. essentially what it's referring to. One yeah, thing also seriously. need to research it. I hope, I hope your findings I were love, excellent. Love <laughs> can, I, can I give well, no, George... I, 
But can I, I give George astronaut, a bit of... astronaut watching Zootopia porn? Yeah. Can I get? Can I give George a bit of leeway? Zootopia. It wasn't called Zootopia in England. Ah, it means he's totally a doll. Sorry. I'm giving him a get a Zootropolis. Yeah. Zootropolis. Oh, 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 yeah, you, you were right on the money to set the look it up. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm giving. I'm giving you that get a jail free card there, George. Um, you owe me. Wow, <laughs> well, I've forgotten that. It's like how your Avengers assemble rather than just the Avengers <laughs> over there. Yeah, yeah, because of the the British series. Hero, Hero Turtles, Ninja Turtles, so, same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah Hero. Yeah, that's right. Because you can have Ninja in the title. I remember this. You know, generally one of the things that's well known about like you know the movie and TV industry is when someone has a good idea, they write what's called a treatment. And a treatment can be like one or two paragraphs, mm. which basically summarizes what the show is and what it's going to be and, and, and a, a sort of brief idea of where it's going to go. Try and guess, and I suppose this one's mainly for you, Rob, because you've got some industry experience and whatnot, but, but try and guess what the hell the treatment was for this show and why whatever the treatment was caused an executive to go, brilliant, that's it. That's exactly what I want to see on screen with something that has Resident Evil attached to it. I, I can kind of answer this a little bit. I think because if you look at the synopsis for how the show is... You remember when Netflix originally announced the show? Um, it had a very basic synopsis about the fact there was two timelines and it was the Wesker family and the incidents leading to a, 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 a um, apocalypse. That essentially in itself is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Like from a narrative standpoint, if you read that as your baseline and you had a very basic synopsis that you jump between teenage versions of these characters and then characters in the you know um, 16 years down the, the line, that you would see the 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 world before and after an apocalyptic event. That there's going to be all sorts of creatures and and you know they, they they all tick boxes. I think from a from a from a very basic sense. It's actually there's nothing wrong with the actual setup of the show. It's just how it's actually executed and all the the actual details. Um, as I said right at the start, there's a lot of talking and not showing in a lot of the, especially the early set stuff in 2022. That you know, there's long scenes of like discussions about stuff to do with things that could be summarized easier by either showing them or editing these down. Nick made a reference to the the whole. Essentially, it's an almost an entire episode around them finding the mysteries of Umbrella with the bug out bag in the house with the with all the little um, puzzles, which is great because it's that little nod to the really weird puzzles in the franchise. But it probably outstays its welcome on how long that whole scene drags yeah. out because they've added this thing with the cameras in the house, like completely un unpointlessly unnecessary, like just to make it longer. And then every time they go do a puzzle, there's a long 10-minute scene. It feels like it probably isn't 10 minutes, but I'm exaggerating, where they have a conversation about another bit of the narrative before they move on to the next puzzle. And again, there's nothing wrong with a bit of conversation and dialogue, but it's just like it draws out the same problems over and over and over again. They just talk around in circles. And I'm just like, this is an entertaining narrative. It's, it's not making me empathize with the characters anymore it's not making me understand the situation any more than i already do i feel like they're repeating a lot of the same uh, angsty problems which is what nick's also had talked about with the with the teen angst 
and that's probably true to actual teenagers don't get me wrong because that's you feel like the whole world's coming down on you when you've got problems as a teenager i totally get it but from a narrative point of view and from a television show point of view you probably needed some trimming you probably needed some narrative editing you needed some dialogue pullback i said it early on too not on this but with someone else is i feel like maybe these shows were about one to three drafts away from actually being edited down into proper production level it's almost like they raced in without some unfinished scripts or kind of ended up having to write on the sets or there was a lot of improvisation or extended dialogue scenes where they let the, the teenage actresses kind of riff back and forth a little bit in the, within the bounds of the lines who knows but it really needed some trimming down and some 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 thought as to the show not repeating itself and again going back to that like setting up these cliffhangers and things but with way more nuance than they even bothered no that's such a better answer than i was going to give because when sean asked that i was just literally going to start singing my brady bunch song with uh about Albert <laughs> Westner and, but yeah i can see sean's point because i think it just again i mean i'm not i can't add anything else to you know what, what ron bisa particularly said but the fact that it's you know tonally it's all over the place and um yeah I, I i think that's perhaps i don't know if maybe they kind of got try to you know and it speaks to what i was really kind of enjoying and investing in setting up these characters and, and giving us more empathy you know when, when we see their demise and and pursuing and, and looking into kind of you know the pressures and, and that's why we saw albert wesker from the perspective of you know uh, a, a father and i really enjoyed you know i really enjoyed that and and you know the friction between him and the bosses above him you know personified with evelyn marcus but I think you know it just it missed the mark, didn't it? Well, let's talk about let's talk about the characters, and it's a nice jumping jumping on point for, for for that. Do you want to start? We can start with start with with Wesker if you like, because obviously he's the, he, he was the, uh, the the big name attached to attached to the film or the show. I thought Lance Reddick was brilliant with the writing that he had and the yeah, and the script, and especially in the latter episodes where we get uh, Al and. Bert and and the and the I suppose the original Albert Wesker as well. I thought it really emphasised just just the quality of his acting skills. You could easily tell who was who, if you like, between between the clones. Um, we'll talk about the canon later, but the act it, it, taking it all at face value. The I I just think he put in a really good performance. You could tell, um, you know, uh, Bert was a bit a bit bombastic, if you like, a bit over the top. Not perhaps, you know, obviously he's been through quite a lot himself. And then you had the other one who was dedicated to his work. And then you had almost like RE5 Wesker. It was RE5 Wesker, wasn't it? I thought, uh, no, wait, that was Blue Oyster Club Wesker, wasn't it? What's that? I don't get that one. The Blue, oh my God. The Blue Oyster Club from... Um... Police Academy. Police oh, Academy. okay. I, so I, I've not seen that. Probably, actually, that's, 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 that might actually be politically incorrect. It's just the two old people on the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's about as bad. Uh, GT, I think it's about as bad as people. All the people going, "Oh, it's Blade." That's oh, horrible. that just pissed I'm me sorry. off because, yeah, I mean, it's just so, so base. Uh, you know, wow, it's basically yeah, a, a, a black man dressed in leather. It was just so base uh, yeah, observation. The, the um, thing that I have about the Albert Wesker thing is that I think Lance is great, and I think that um, 
from a question, like obviously from a existing canon question, obviously one of the draws, and I guess maybe this answers your earlier question a little bit too, um, Sean, is that you've, when you were doing a treatment, if you said, well, Albert Wesker's back, it's kind of like, oh, that's an interesting mystery. But realistically, the mystery isn't really that interesting. And other than the idea of just having Albert Wesker return, I, I, I kind of almost feel like we could have just had Lance as a new character with these clones and still have like Albert Wesker's involvement that he created the clones, but they didn't need to be clones of Albert Wesker. And like, it kind of, yeah, it, it's, it, it's kind of weird. And I, I don't, I don't get it. Cause I think it's such a strong character. And I think the idea of having the other different clones is Albert, Albie and, Al. Oh um, no! You know, oh. It was Albie. It was Albie. Albie. Yeah, is is fine, but you need to have like there doesn't. Is, it's almost like this is just the justification. Like we're going to have Wesker, and he's going to clone himself because he needs to do research. Okay, cool. That's not actually a bad idea. I think that's actually quite a cool idea. But realistically, it would have been more interesting if he just made some clone of some researcher that was good enough for him. That would have been a different character that Reddit could have played, and it would have been fine because the mystery doesn't really have much of a mystery to it. We're just like, well, we know he's dead. And they make this very clear in the show that he did die exactly as we saw in Resident Evil 5 in the yep. show's continuity. So why bother? Like, <laughs> He could have been a new character, which would have been, I think, far more interesting. But whatever. That, that, that's a, that's so, a point, of course. Um, and we'll, yeah, of course, in, in, the, in the games, he's an international terrorist, world-renowned international terrorist. Um, yeah, you're right. Apart from saying Lance Reddick is playing Albert Wesker, what does it actually bring to the storyline within the game? I, within, the, within the show, I don't know. So one more caveat to that is that I can see that you could say that because of the Albert Wesker, like the Wesker gene, essentially, like why, where he hit his dad. That's true. Having children of his through genetics is kind of an interesting little line. But again, the show doesn't explore that. It doesn't really go other than obviously one of the children uh, doesn't get infected the same as everyone else. There's not a lot of narrative meat centered around it. And even when that happens, it's not like it's equated to the fact that this person is descendant of Albert Wesker, um, you know, genetically. But anyway, uh, I thought Riddick was great. As I said earlier on, I think that one scene in the school was very much someone saw that scene in the Funny Old Dice and said he can do this, and he does. He obviously friggin' nails it. And I think his, um, his the individual characters he creates between the clones is absolutely brilliant. I thought they were all believable as different individuals, all from the same person. And I think that that was really good, and I think it's interesting seeing the dynamics between him and his daughters, how he's like he's like an overbearing father who spends far too much time on his work, but he clearly does actually care, and you see this both through the way he reacts to them, and even when they don't trust him for justifiable reasons, he's still trying to do his best for his kids, which I think is a very good narrative structure, and I think there's a lot more to reach out of that that perhaps the writing didn't. But yeah, I thought it was a good choice. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it he was one of the highlights for me so he he's he, he certainly lends the show some star some much needed star quality but i can't say this is his amongst his best work at all i mean like you know he's he's prolific you know i think people aren't aware he's he like when he was in the wire he was in that show more than any other actor and things like that and I would just love to know what it was because I don't, you know, he's not he's not dry on work, you know, he's still still very prolific and he's going to be in John Wick 4 next year, you know, in a fairly big role, his biggest role yet in the franchise um apparently. I just would love to know what it was that attracted him to this project because although he stands out, the material he's given isn't isn't anywhere near 
enough for him to be able to really show what he is capable of as an actor because he he is exceptional. Maybe it was just the, the the sort of prospect of playing multiple characters of you know multiple versions of himself. And if that's the case, then I've got a Marvel Cinematic Universe that's just about going into multiverse shenanigans. I would love to see him in doing that kind of kind of role. But in terms of this, yeah, I'd love to. You know, I'd, I must maybe scour some interviews if he's talked about like what it was that attracted him to the project because I w- you know that it must have been good to make him want to sign up. And spend months of you know months of his life in South Africa filming and things like that. You know, it's a bit of a commitment. He is by and far the the best thing in the show. With regards to the character of Wesker, I'm kind of indifferent because it is just kind of Wesker in name only. It must be said. I don't really feel he exhibits the the, the character traits that are in they're in the series, but that's fine because it's doing something different with it. So I'm not going to be overly critical in that sense, but just in the in the way that it, it unfortunately kind of makes it, it Wesker in name only. We, we we know it's Albert Wesker basically because we're told it's Albert Wesker, not because it, it feels like the Wesker in the games. I don't think at any point he feels like he's literally just walked off one of the video games and come into this show. It's, it's, it's an entirely fresh take on the character. And that's fine because that's what the show was going for. I would say, though, of course, that we, we don't see a lot of Wesker as a researcher in the games, at least, you know, outside of files and a couple of scenes from Zero. You know, there's a lot of time, isn't there, from like the 60, uh, from like the 70s up to the 90s, a good 20 year window where he's researching. A very good point. Yeah, very good you know, point. So we, yeah, we, we see, obviously, you know, he, he's quite happy to pick up a gun and shoot James Marcus. But <laughs> interesting, that was never brought up. But anyway, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, um, for me, I, I actually thought one of the standout characters was, was Evelyn Marcus. I thought she was brilliant. I enjoyed every scene she was in. I thought her character was so ridiculously over the top. It suited Resident Evil to a T. I thought she was one of the most authentic Resident Evil attributes to the project, which is odd because she's the most stupidest thing. Um, but it it was wonderfully comforting because all the Resident Evil villains are stupid and over the top. That's why we love it. We love these large corporations with people running it who don't really know what they're doing, and they're just playing God and, you know, mixing who knows what with who knows what. And I just, I just thought she was wonderfully unhinged. And uh, she, uh, Paola Nunez just absolutely nailed it with it. Really, she could turn on a sixpence. Um, and turn on a dime, sorry, for American listeners. And... Uh, yeah, I, I thought she was brilliant up to, and you know what I'm going to say, up to that ridiculous scene in the future with mm. the music and the dance. And I thought, what the hell is this? And yeah, I, I nearly bailed at that point, but we were at the end. So anyway, but apart from that, I, I thought she was really good. Um, and I really enjoyed her controlling relationship over her wife and her son as well. And I, I thought that part was was actually probably one of the better better kind of family dynamics that we saw in the, in the show. Oh, can I? I didn't. Can I add quickly my thoughts on Wesker? Oh, sorry, sorry. Cool. Uh, no, I'll be I'll be brief. Um, no, just that you know people have, have quite rightly pointed out. You know, it was a, like a vehicle to sort of showcase you know Lance's range. You know, Nick, I think you mentioned it because I, I thoroughly I love to see the narrative of Wesker from you know you know from the seventies and eighties from the you know Wesker's report to. Uh, as a scientist and I, and I really enjoyed that and I think that there was 
enough than Lance could have done more than enough with this to take this in the direction of the Wesker that we do know from the video games and, and start to see as, as the pressure develops and the friction between him and Evelyn develops to kind of seen him kind of, you know, go, you know, for his character to develop that way. And I, I really thoroughly would have enjoyed, you know, I, d I don't like to see the whole histrionics that we get in the kind of cartoon character Wesker from Resident Evil 5. The, I could almost have just about run with the clone thing, but it just got, it, it, I mean, I had to almost turn away from the screen, you know, this kind of, you know, Albert Wesker, but one with a beard, you know, got your, you know, it was like, just did like almost like Smurf versions of, of, of Wesker. It just, it was like, you know, it's, oh, and Bert as well. And again, like you said, what is this show try, trying to do when, you, you know, it, it invest time in, in character building. And then I think, was it when Bert was shot in the, in the head and, and he almost did that comical, like, duh, you know, with his eyes. And I just, I, that really, I just almost had to turn away. Uh, but but you're quite right to point out that you know that he he, he was uh, one of, one of the highlights of the show, Lance. And you liked you liked Evelyn as well. Oh yeah, just briefly on Evelyn, I thought she was absolutely fantastic. I like obviously the link to to uh, to the narrative. I thought again, it, it was a way to see the ways that Umbrella and the pressure of working for Umbrella, you know, develops, and we kind of these characters are, are more than you know one dimensional. And yeah, I thought she was fantastic. She kind of almost owned every scene that she was in, except the ones you know with Lance, where you know her and him played off. It's just absolutely fantastic. But yeah, the the but it's not just obviously that the dancing was absolutely preposterous. And I don't know what they were trying to do. These almost I don't know is it like trying to be kind of like postmodernist with these references to SpongeBob and you know um, <laughs> a lot of the lines that they gave to Baxter. Again, I could just about go with that. You know, there's almost a slight real to that because you know literally you know people do kind of resort to to dark humor and humor in in some of the worst moments in in real life and kind of almost gives a slight realism to it rather than just you know people running around without kind of recognizing the ridiculousness in in, in what's going on around them but i think what kind of we've spoken about it before the, the, the actually the point the the, the the greater point behind that ridiculous uh, dance scene was the fact that we were given no, there was no explanation as to, you know, suddenly jumped a bang, you know, now she's under the control of Billy. And uh, yeah, we, we don't know how Billy got to that point. We don't know how Billy then got to the point where she was able to, you know, and just that ridiculous throwaway line, you know, I've pumped her full of 87 drugs and no, nah, not funny, insulting the audience and didn't like that at all. They could have, they could have just put a P thirty substance on her, like Jill. Didn't we? Something we didn't like, there see was a it. He makes reference reference okay. to it. Yeah, mm. one of the one of the one of the clones is working on a control device that we, the the Albert Whisker asks about. Uh, there you go. Reference to Star Uh Did you like Evelyn and Baxter as well? Yeah, I didn't like Baxter at all. Um, <laughs> I'd, uh, yeah. <laughs> Evelyn's fine. My biggest problem with Evelyn is the fact that she, she, that they just use her as a. I'd have just preferred it if she was just like a completely original character in terms of like no narrative connection or anything like that. The fact that they try to shoehorn her in as a Marcus just feels this pointless Easter egg ticking exercise. So some, you know, so fans of the game are supposed to go, "Oh, that's brilliant! I love it." The uh, clues were there. Apparently, just go, "Yeah, wait, what?" what? You know, it's it's nonsense. It's it, it's such a tenuous link. But I mean, you know, as an actress, is it Paolo Nunes? I think her name is. Yeah, she's 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 great, and she's clearly enjoying the material. Yes. And you always get you always get so much more from an an actor when they look like they're enjoying it. And she she certainly did in every scene, and she had decent presence. But she just kind of like so many of the sort of characters and setups, and that just sort of exited stage right toward the end, and that was it. 
<laughs> Romby, what did you think of the, the, the kind of the, the, these were our two umbrella personnel outside of Wesker? I, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as you guys. I think she was good for for the role. I, I mean, I can see what Sean's saying about the from a narrative connection. It's relatively tenuous, but I guess a lot of the show is tenuous. And I, and I, as I said, I got upset when she was talking about like making it sound like Umbrella had only just become a pharmaceutical company and only had been doing US contracts. Um, so maybe I should be more irate at the connection to Marcus. But then realistically, what I'm saying overall is I, I think it's just easier to have its own narrative continuity and then ignore all these issues. I think from, yeah, I think I agree. She, from an actress standpoint, she was obviously reveling in like chewing scenes and um, having a blast and I think it comes across on the screen I do think it is weird that the character kind of just exits like like this left I think she's left in the tent and then she's never just left addressed yeah. again like the, yeah. she's just left there and we assume we assume some of the zeros got to her but then considering the drone shootout that happens in front of the tent I guess they never really got in there but then there's still random ones just running around so she could come back who knows we won't know um, until mm. if they do a second season or never in which case she just exists like Schrodinger's cat in a box um, or not whether or not sure. she's still just sitting in that tent uh, Baxter that's uh, that's a lot to unload <laughs> um, man okay first first scene first appearance horrendous the character is a as a kind of a, a pursuer kind of works at times but then there's a narrative disconnect between him kind of sometimes being bumblingly out of touch and then all of a sudden becoming this badass shooty action hero it was so tone deaf and just just yeah. swung from one end to the other the only only thing he got a chuckle out of me was the master of unlocking line because i was like okay i'll give you that writers that one was that one was set up pretty well but it wasn't him that was that's that's a fourth wall break for me like that's not really the character i really enjoyed the the performance i've got to say and but right up to the point of his dance routine Uh, it almost reminded me of um when um strictly come dancing have their halloween special (laughs) because <laughs> it's like the guns were just almost a secondary thing it was almost like a dance routine it, an extension know, extension yeah. of himself yeah the guns were yeah. an extension flowing flowing movement yeah it, it was it was choreographed like a dance i will i will definitely give you that gt it's preposterous to me because in terms of like choreography and it being like a you know kind of John Wick inspired sequence or whatever you want to call it, it's preposterous to me that that character is given the most competently choreographed action sequence of the entire eight episodes. Like mm. it's just it's yeah. nonsense, utter nonsense. Because it is filmed quite it also, well, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and it also it also belies the idea that when they're in the tunnels, he's a little bit like not good at shooting at the liquors and seems a little bit incompetent, and you think he's going to die, and then he's like pretty much one of the only survivors out of the tunnel and then it's like okay so that is them trying to explain this by showing later on that he's actually a really competent guns gunsmith like guns marksman sorry um and i'm like okay but like he doesn't seem like that character again it's like an incongruity of like him being one type of character who seems like an oafish like he, he leads a team but he definitely doesn't shoot there's all these 
the guys he gets to shoot for him, and they're all terrible marksmen, it seems, for the mm. most part. And, it's a then, and then he's like, he's like the pro shooter who really should have been doing a lot of the work himself. <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense. It's a classic example of the show having characters do things because the storyline requires it, not yeah. because it feels narratively true. It, it that that is exemplified by me in the in the tunnel scene with the liquors a hundred percent. There's there's that and we we you know we there's the there's characters with plot armor. There's inconsistencies like all of a sudden the liquor attacks a truck. Where everyone's been quiet, even though because the plot requires them to get out of the vehicle. And then people who aren't shooting and are being quiet are being pulled away by liquors. And the people that are actually talking are getting completely ignored. And then, but also before that, the entire umbrella squad comes in making a hell of a racket. And you're told there's enemies around that can, and they don't do anything. They, they, they waits until the exact moment when you, all hell breaks loose to, for all hell break loose. And it feels very plotted at that point. And it's plot armor and narrative Incon- uh, inconsistencies and it, yeah that same thing happens with Baxter as a character I think it's just like he just does what he needs to in the scenes yeah 100% yes no, I get you say he, he should have almost been killed a bit like well no not that's not true what I'm trying to say is yeah either he should have been killed earlier or show that he's a badass from the get go yeah yeah Don't either dies a coward dies a yeah, coward yeah he dies a coward and, a, yeah. and an oaf basically who can't can't save himself or he's a badass from the get-go and you show the reason why he commands a squad because like from a perspective of like him being able to like shoot the crap out of enemies like he does it totally makes sense that he would be the team leader of this group not just because it's his job because he's the right person for the job but the show doesn't show that up until all of a sudden he just does this as you said switch it's it's like on a dime you know like he goes from one to the other and you're like whoa that's a tonal shift and that's a problem with the show across the board is tonal shift just all of a sudden switches from family drama to apocalyptic action but sometimes you'll get that even in the future scenes you'll have the stuff on the ship and then all of a sudden it turns into this and then back in the past it's this show until something else happens on it and that's it it's just it's a it's a narratively thematically all over the place i wonder if when he stumbles down the stairs that was just an outtake that they accidentally kept in then yeah you're absolutely right i mean he's almost a personification of the narrative in the fact that yeah you know tonally he's, he's all over the place I don't know if it's a question that Nick's got. I don't want to ask something that, you know, that's your, your job, Nick, but whether everyone loved, you know, that the, that kind of planet of the apes kind of, you know, moved to this kind of new civilization when they, you know, they cross over to Calais and we get the, uh, what they, the fact, was it the foundation? What the, um, the brotherhood? Yes. The brotherhood, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's I mean, an interesting again, point. Uh, uh, Nick's about to say exactly the same thing. I think from a perspective, there's an interesting concept in there, but is it executed very well? No. Is it interesting? No. Is it move the plot forward? Yes, only so that they can find that there's a a, 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 you know, a zero that can control the other zeros. It's literally its purpose, really. It doesn't build these the brotherhood up as like quite um you know quite tough and quite imposing, and that they have their own set of rules and the way they view the world. And you start to get hints of that with the with the leader of them kind of explaining like that it's basically like a a punishment. For, you know, the, this this outbreak is a punishment from God, and there's a really interesting narrative thread you could go down with, like their their beliefs and that. But no, they're just there to be cannon fodder, for lack of a better term, for for for, for zero fodder and for uh, 
for back for for, for back again. The, 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 there's no no payoff narratively. It doesn't the, really go anywhere. The leader of the Calais terrorists or whatever, the guy wearing the sunglasses and whatnot. I can't remember what his name is, but he's actually had his performance dubbed by Robin Atkin Downs. If people aren't aware. Oh really? Well, I yeah. tell you who he wasn't, and it should have been. That should have been Daniel Fabron. I don't care what anyone's. <laughs> I knew you were going to say. Yeah, you know what? 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 Fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, missed opportunity, but I, I will I, say, in terms of violence, uh, the chainsaw sequence was pretty gnarly, actually. Yes, um, uh, that was it was an a very, thing. very tenuous edition of the uh, uh, what are we calling the French equivalent of Doctor Salvador. I thought that looked awful. Yeah, because actually that was uh, one of the very few BOWs. Well, uh, you know, Sh- Sean, I'm calling it cha- chainsaw. Ganado, obviously, not not Salvador. Uh, he literally looked like kind of a just a knockoff Halloween costume, didn't well, it? Was it, it was. Like just, it, they just like grabbed good. anyone off the street and just shoved a bag over his head. And it wasn't a zombie, violent. though. It wasn't a zombie. Quite gnarly. I thought it, it would be yeah. props to them for actually doing a scene of like genuine horror in there. Mm. It was it was good. Oh no, just, the actual scene was fantastic. Yeah, but no, just the uh, yeah. I just got a bit frustrated with that whole thing because every time Jade escaped, she got caught. And it happened. It seemed to happen like twice straight. You know, after getting out and then caught and then back in there, and it, I just I found it all a bit frustrating. But For, yeah, that Doctor uh, Salvador wasn't, yeah, yeah, wasn't so a zombie. It, no, so it was a Doctor Savior. 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 But it was just a normal yeah. person with a sack on his head. He, he yeah, wasn't, and, and a bag. Yeah, it, it was just it's just a visual <laughs> reference. Yeah. So, I think that was the that RE4 chainsaw controller he was holding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Any other um kind of like so they're the main I suppose, the main characters. We haven't really spoken about J- Jade and Billy in terms of the, the the kind of the characterization. I well we have in a bit we found them a bit inconsistent. I, I actually thought the, the, the acting, and I don't want to criticise them too much because they're quite young, you know, they're quite young actors, and I, I actually thought they were they were pretty solid. I, the person, and I'll forgive the name, the person who plays older Jade, she was very good. I, I thought she actually put in a in a, in a decent performance. Um, very, very, very Ella, Bal- Ella Balinska is the, yes. the, the actress, yeah. I thought, and and I did. She's British. I didn't even realise until I watched the yeah. interviews. A large uh, a large number of the cast are British. Yeah. Yeah, very convincing American accents. There you go. Cheap, Nick. We're cheap. Are we cheap? Is that, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. But no, I, 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 I thought she, she was good, and I, 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 I thought both. I didn't particularly like older Billy. I, I didn't think the performance. I thought the performance was a bit robotic from her in the in the future Billy. But I thought younger Billy and younger Jade were very good. Uh, for quite new new, new actors yep. on the scene, young young Jade's also British too. If you didn't realise, they're actually, both they're both British. Yeah, them. yeah. But I, I thought they were very. I thought they were both very good actually. And I said I didn't. I said earlier I didn't particularly enjoy a lot of the teenage angst stuff, but I found it. You know, I found their performances um, on the to, whole. To very... me, they were just passable. I think you're only as good as the script you're given. And, of course. And I don't. I don't feel that though any. And I include like the likes of Lance in this as well. I don't feel like any actor was particularly pushed by the material in this show, to be honest. I didn't feel any sort of emotional attachment to anybody. Um, any other side characters people enjoyed? I'm thinking. I'm thinking of wife with zombie man. Sorry, zero man. The- oh, I, what, what did everyone I think, think of the so another... <laughs> What did everyone okay. think of the cat scene? Yeah, no, yeah that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. No, just no. <laughs> It, it it could have, would, you could have gone with some really interesting things with it, but it turned very generic. 
I yeah. just thought of all the poor cat owners in the Resident Evil community. I was thinking of Sonny Bauer and 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 uh, cat called Sonny. So shout out to you. Well done. You've made it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're in a Resident cat. Evil property at last. <laughs> if um, you can figure out which cat it is. <laughs> the problem is a little segue like that wouldn't have been too bad, but it takes up a good majority of the second episode, and you're just like, oh my god! And like this say, is this you is the, the same concept. thing. Yeah. You could have explored that Again. concept of like losing a loved one and having them chained up in your fucking bathroom because you just don't want them to go. But it, it just yeah. it, it but it just goes to parody so fast. And but then I thought they did. You're right, Sean. But I think they did did that then quite well with the uh, the the was I mean the the Brighton family that 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 had accents that that was if Brighton was up north. Um, <laughs> uh, and that's one of the things the show did that, that I really enjoyed. Almost reminded me of when The Walking Dead was was kind of doing good good things. When you see you know the the, the human tragedy you know uh, behind the actual yeah. virus, and I, I I enjoyed that family and what they were doing. I think that episode that they're in and that whole because that's the, the the sequence with the with the liquors and the spider. I think that is the best paced episode. There's enough um, narrative meat. There's enough action. There's enough um, drama and there's enough horror. All balanced relatively well through that one episode. That it's probably the most consistent episode of all of them. It doesn't it's feel like it drags. Is it three or is it four? Four episode three or four. I can't remember to be honest. It's episode yeah. three. It's episode three. That one. Episode three. Yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah. When we saw, I th- and I actually thought it was quite a good performance. Not very brief by the by the child actor. When we, you know, we saw him starting to turn. But I thought that, yeah, I thought they actually, they did it well uh, within that narrative. I, f- I feel that's one of the most sort of frustrating things about the show, though. It's the fact that you know you talked about this family succumbing, you know, to the virus and whatnot. And I, th- I was hoping like that the sequences present day sequences the the sequence with the teenagers and stuff we were going to see a lot of that we we're going to see like a lot of the world collapsing and actually witnessing society breaking down and things like that because because mm. one of the things that we've always said about the re series in terms of them as games in that is that we always enter the games sort of post outbreak you very rarely see it all start to go down i think this is one of the reasons why daughters it's such an attractive piece of DLC is because you can actually see in Resident Evil 7 I'm talking about daughters when you you can actually see you know a, a catastrophe unfolding before your eyes and I don't and, and I think the show was going to sort of almost tease that in its synopsis and yeah. it never really went there well I think that's this is season 2 stuff again I think uh, they're back banking on it and we may uh, we we may one day get it but that leads very nicely into one of my particular favorite elements um that we saw with Billy and that was the sickness this is something I mentioned in our Welcome to Raccoon City review as well, um and I personally really enjoyed it again a lot of zombie films and a lot of zombie shows they just say here's a zombie outbreak deal with it there's no questions you get funny little tidbits in like Shaun of the dead but on the whole it's there's been an outbreak it, there's a virus you just got to deal with it that's fine but what makes resident evil great is that we have the t virus and we have the the corporation and, and that kind of law and i thought welcome to raccoon city and this show showed the gradual decline of someone infected with the virus and i thought they did it really well in in, in Welcome to Raccoon City. We saw it almost like a started off as a kind of mental health deterioration. You saw that, you know, the kind of who we thought was a crimson head in the, in the trailers, you know, kind of almost tearing her hair out. And I really like that kind of imagery, which you never see in most zombie films. It's just they're either human or they're zombies. And this showed it as well. I thought Billy's transition into a zombie or, you know, a 
I suppose she came quite close in the in the in the in the last episode, didn't she? I thought that was a real highlight for me, and I think that is one of the key points that makes Resident Evil as a zombie property very different to other zombie properties. And I really wish they would focus on it. Exactly what Sean says. We don't see a lot of that kind of world falling down. It's just usually just given to this is it. There's zombies. Deal with it. What we love to see, I'd like to see, is lots of people slowly finding out what's going on and seeing that slow demise, people being ill. I want to see the scenes in the hospital of the doctors trying to treat these people and they're slowly turning and, you know, what we kind of hinted at in some of the games. And that's what I want to see. And I said, I think Welcome to Raccoon City showed it well. And I think this show also showed Billy's demise. And I hope we get to see more of it in the future. Can only add that I really strongly agree with all of that. And just would also add that what I also enjoyed is we didn't just get the, the mental and the physical deterioration. We kind of got the, not the breakdown uh, uh, mentally, but just the, the, the paranoia, you know, because she, she, at various points she wasn't actually as ill and deteriorating or had succumbed to the virus as much as she thought. And, you know, and we got the countdown. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed the, 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 you know, the paranoia and almost the hypochondria behind, you know, w- w- what's going to happen to me. And yeah, I think it was played fantastically well. Mm. I'm in two states. I think it's for the for the show. It's it's handled sometimes well, but also it's drawn out over the idea of trying to create dramatic tension when there is none. Like George just brought up, like the countdown clocks, which conveniently two characters hit at the exact same time and are supposedly accurate to the second, but then like it becomes pointless because by the time it actually paid off, the counter passed hours earlier, apparently, or minutes, I can't remember. It's a substantial amount of time, anyway, when it's revealed that the, the past... And so, again, the, the narrative tension is, is deflated because it doesn't really feel like it's going to actually amount to anything because... But I think, don't correct me, but by this point, we know that she's still alive in the future as well. Like, I might be wrong, but I got so lost on the back and forth, but I'm pretty sure at this point it's been established. Well, we know this actually because, yeah, Baxter had mentioned it. So we know that she's not going to die. We know she's not going to turn. Is something going to happen to her? Are they going to find a cure or something? I guess is really the question at that point. But um, we know she's still alive. So again, the deflated narrative tension of having a clock and seeing these changes is only drawing out episodes for what could have been interesting reasons, but isn't. I think from the perspective of seeing it from that look, it's really interesting. I think you're right, Nick. I think being able to see the um, the understanding of you know someone going through that process and, and, and potentially leading into an actual mass outbreak and seeing that is an interesting narrative convention. And I'm sure that's where, you know, if there's a second season, they will want to go down that path of seeing more of the actual outbreak taking place and how we get to the world that exists in the future but so far i don't feel like it's going to be handled as well as you guys hope just based on the examples of what's been in this first season but you know you never know well that brings us on to the kind of bow's as well i suppose with the um with, with with the zombies or the zeros as they're called in this how did everyone feel they were were treated i mean we can't really talk about 2022 but 2036 they were Slightly bubonic, if I'm going to use that as an adjective. Uh, quite bubbly in their in their appearance, and mm. we kind of had the uh, almost like a shrieker BOW zombie from Resident Evil Six make a kind of cameo appearance, or well, at least one that is able to kind of cool and uh, do do all sorts. Uh, makeup wise, I thought it was uh, generally quite impressive. I just don't like running zombies, ladies and gentlemen. I just do not. 
I, I, I find it, it, they've been done to death and the novelty wore off after 28 days later for me. I know some people like them, but outside... I'm, I'm in agreement with you, Nick. Do you? I, okay, yeah. I'm not, I, outside, outside of them looking particularly gruesome, um, I said I liked that kind of decayed bubonic look. They didn't. They didn't do a lot for me just because I just. I, I just can't see beyond running zombies. So. Well, in the first episode, we were going to go for World War Z, Z style zombies when they were almost like tripping over each other and creating yeah. like, a moving force, like a tidal wave of, of bodies. But mm. thankfully, they didn't go there beyond that sort of opening sequence. I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they, the makeup work and things like that were fine, I suppose. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in the camp of running zombies. I really do enjoy them. I mean, it's an obvious yeah. point, I know, but it, it amps up the tension. I think it's, and props to when they can do it, I think it's very difficult for, I mean, The Walking Dead, I think only did it really for two seasons at best, really. When, you know, you have, because it's very, you know, it takes you out of out of the tension when you have this, you know, this this shambling horde and they're meant to be, you know, a- acting a- as a as a pursuer. Um, and you know, the, you know, you've got to try and find cl- clever kind of narrative plot points in order to, you know, uh, have our protagonist, you know, um, slow down. You know, things before them, so the horde, you know, eventually catches up with them. Uh, but I just think that, you know, in the moment, having zombies that are that mobile, that that do bear down on you, that you know, are that ferocious. Nah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Nah. Yeah, I'm in the camp for those. <laughs> I'm the only one here. I'm sure if John, if Batman was yeah. here, he'd agree with me. No, I don't think you would either. I, I, I the, <laughs> the point of zombies, and it's and 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 and, and the, the point is not that. Yeah, an individual zombie by itself should be a, a, an issue. It shouldn't be an issue, but it's about the numbers and when you have them. And if they run, they're not. You, you. I mean, the narrative for the show basically implies that these people are not exactly dead; that they're just impacted by the virus. So I can guess they kind of get around the idea of them you know zombies but traditionally if you're reanimating something that's dead it's supposed to be stiff and difficult to walk and slow moving but it's about the large numbers and people being essentially if especially if you go back to the romero type it's about people's arrogance over what they think is an easy threat so essentially the idea that they think they're so easy to dispatch or aren't a threat is the undoing of those people um, you know that they that the, the, that's the the concept behind it, and so if you make them run, you're only doing it because you're trying to problem solve or, or change the threat, and it doesn't it falls flat. I, that whole island sequence, you just got these hordes of people running all over the place. It's just there's it's unmitigated chaos, and it doesn't narratively make sense either because you have like so you've got this uh, a, a scent attractor that's essentially like this the smell that's being come from this gland and so the zombies are trying to go to it but then they seem to just be randomly attacking people so what's their narrative requirements are they going for the scent or are they just going for whatever's in their way it doesn't make sense and then they're running because they're all over the place but some of them are running in different directions and yeah it, it, it doesn't it work for me it does not and where do they all come Rob from Robin savage it's just never ending <laughs> I'm just, I'm just sorry. Like, like I, I'm, I'm more looking at it from like I don't mind changes to Resident Evil, and I don't change the law, but it's, it's like for me, it's like you, you, if you set up a narrative consistency, then, then do so. We're talking about a franchise that traditionally, when we've dealt with zeros, with what the zeros are from zombies in this franchise, they're not running creatures; they move. The, the closest mm. we have to running oh, is, is heads, right? And so. If we're going to talk to narrative connections to this franchise, where why are these types running all of a sudden? And uh, and I guess the show tries to maybe, as I said, like tries to explain it from this perspective of like the those 
effective with joy are different than a traditional t-virus zombie because of xyz and you kind of don't explain it but then when you actually come to setting up a narrative continuity within your own show it kind of doesn't really work because they are attracted to this pheromone scent gland thing and then all of a sudden but they're just hacking people at random and they're running all over the place and i'm just like oh god okay whatever look their sense of smell is absolutely extraordinary as well because she smashes that vial inside a tent and they start yeah. running from like literally what sounds like fucking miles away they, they, well, they, no, they were just they were chilling in a car park just within, just, the hill. Within, you see it. within seconds within <laughs> yeah. seconds too like not enough even like make, minutes enough, it's like enough to make the ground rumble yeah, they're just they're, they're just they're just they're just chilling, having having a zombie meet up beyond the I hill. Wa- I want to I want to I want to I want to say to GT, no harm, no foul on liking running zombies. Trust me, I I think that sequence in Twenty Eight Days Later is intense, and I love it. Um, I think if you've got the right reason to have a zom- running zombie in a in a narrative sense, it totally works. And for that. For, for the 28 days franchise for example they're not zombies they're rage monsters mm. and so for their the way that they're explained in that continuity it totally makes sense that they're aggressive angry fast moving and it does lead to its own tension and interest but i think from a resident evil perspective that the reasons for having a running zombie in this doesn't justify narrative tension it doesn't add anything you've got other creatures that move faster like the lickers for example if they had hunters in there they had other things the spider moves pretty fast there are other faster moving creatures so you might as well let the zombies or zeros in this case be zombies and leave the fast movement to something else no you're, no, you're absolutely right no no listen you're absolutely right and that's a good point um in terms of the arrogance you know of the protagonists and, and that's what befalls them in thinking that they can outrun you know this 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 slow moving shambling horde but i think narratively they uh you know it, they were consistent in terms of you know the zombies not being undead she explains at the beginning that you know their corneas are the first to go and so you know they're hunting with smell and so uh, but you're right because that scene they're running all over the place it's almost like each individual zero had a different kind of narrative in terms of what was driving them forward um yeah and they they made a complete mess of that scene enemies getting attacked and then there's other enemies that just get completely avoided and i'm just like what's why they're going going on but they should better smell smelling what's going on A bigger point I found was that there was a a slight inconsistency in how people were infected. I mean, um, we can talk about like the 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 zombie dogs here as well. So clearly, a bite infects you, as you would expect. But then Jade was consistently covered with blood. Blood squirted everywhere. seemingly I'm not really sure yeah i'm fairly sure there's some discussion about airborneness at some point as well i completely i may have glossed over this at that Maybe. point but I, I remember I, there was some conversation with with um with, with albert wesker and um when was it maybe it was one of the boardroom scenes or something about it and i just remember going oh gosh i'll be adding this this. yeah well. I, I just i just wasn't sure how how one would get infected through the two guys it wasn't it didn't, it didn't seemingly uh make it clear anyway so we can talk about the 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 zombie dogs um, was it through fight- biting sorry just well, very quickly i think because at some point when they referred to as biters i think it was the gladsuisian guy that when she in the first episode in brighton i may be wrong but i think the whole point it, was she described it as it, that the whole point bit. of the zeros that they were first wave she said they were first generation and the point their point was to spread the virus by biting and all they knew okay, was to fine, to fine okay um we, we spoke just before we came on air really about the the, the, the zombie dog i th- we think it looked quite good um i, I didn't <laughs> no, no no in terms of, in terms of actual visually design. 
visually it looked like, mm. it just looked woeful and it was easily the worst special effect in the game in, in the film it was you literally know, like jason i mean if you know the film jason and the argonauts in terms of one of my favorite know, films of all time but in terms of its motion i just and i and, and that's what i found so surprising it is that it was very much in its own because i thought all the other bow secondary infectants i thought looked absolutely fantastic but well, this that, is that, the thing. we have others you know we'll, briefly talk about the others but i mean the, the zombie dog almost looked like scorpion king-esque special effects at times yeah it was, it was I, so you've got to, blatant i will caveat this and i and i I'm, I'm it's one of those things i will defend just knowing how this i mean and sean can do it too because he knows what this industry is like it's there's a lot of crunch time pressures budgetary issues so when you see any movie these days usually you'll see a handful of special effects that just don't quite match the consistency of everything else and it can be sometimes different companies working on it sometimes it can be a yeah, budget and adjustments it can be a last minute change essentially you know there's the stories this is coming out in the last couple of weeks about <coughs> vfx artists and how they're being handled by studios and and companies like uh, Disney, Marvel, and all that sort of stuff, in regards to like making changes, you know, ten weeks out from the film's lock date, you know, when it's supposed to be finished for release, and and it's like you you've been doing all this work, and all of a sudden you've got to change it all. And so, I mean, the dogs might have been part of it. It might have been the way they were shot and referenced. I mean, George has had some insight in the fact that they didn't have any reference on set reference dogs or anything like that. Yeah, I think he um, mentioned nothing, Kevin. No, no act. It's one of those things that could have just been a really tough thing, whereas sometimes it's easier to make kind of more fantastical creatures look like they exist than something that should be a lot more realistic too. Like that's just a simple truth. A dog, we know what a dog looks like when it moves. So sometimes when it doesn't look right, you know it's wrong, whereas a giant version of a you know caterpillar with a giant maw that's the size of a three or four story building is a lot more hard, uh, easier to believe as slow moving and unrealistically realistic because we don't know what that would actually look like in real life so you know you you kind of the the, the concept of dis, disbelief is easier to suspend as, as someone who is heavily somewhat comically arachnophobic i will actually say i think the best bow sequence of them all was the spider I think that sequence mm. was actually quite well staged, quite well done. Um, and although the spider itself didn't trigger my arachnophobia, I didn't have any issues watching it. I still thought it was realised quite well and was an effective set piece. Yeah, yeah. it amped up the tension. It was ultimately pointless with the, the sacrifice he tried to make. Yeah. Because, because they, it, was, it was like, oh, I'll give you some time. Okay, fair enough, that's nice. And then he stopped anyway. <laughs> and then he started, I was like, well, that was pointless. So, uh, but yes. <laughs> with, the, with the cliche gate closed that I saw coming a mile away, but I still kind of enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it did look good. It looked all right, yeah. Did you guys notice there was sort of, um, at least there was a running consistency through, through the, the monsters. Nick, you mentioned you sort of the bubonic plague type look and, you know, these, the series had these like pustules on them. Yep. And that was running through all, all the creatures because the, the, the spider had it and the, the caterpillar had it. Yes. But yeah. Which are right. So all look fantastic. And just going back to the dog, Wombies, right to point out, um, Kevin Langelfasser, the, uh, the special effects, visual effects supervisor. Yeah, I did point out that this was the only production, Resident Evil production so far, that didn't have access. Uh, and they tried to and didn't, unfortunately, get access to Dobermans. It's something that I thought in, in, in the past, you're right, you have these, these creatures, these fantasy creatures uh, that aren't kind of constrained by their dimensions, that are a lot easier to get away with than something that, you know, right, and we're, it's the thing that we're almost, we're all the most familiar with, you know, the movements of a dog and what it's going to look like, so... I'm sure you're in its defence, that's, that's got a lot to do with it. I mean, go back and look at the other versions of the dogs through um, all the different versions of Resident Evil, and they all have their own little weird 
quirks like so you had the underdogs and then you pull first paul anderson film and it's like ones where they've literally just gone in and cg and cut out bits of their faces and it looks really janky and like and it did in its time it didn't look just janky because it was 20 years ago it looks janky because it was janky because clearly someone had to just go in and do that at short notice you know but they had actual dogs on set covered in goo and stuff like that which kind of helped anyway so yes continue nick on your yeah we also had the grave digger which was a cat inferred to be (laughs) is it the grave digger digger. is it a grave digger no i'm not i'm not it's multicolored. It's, it's based off of a real yeah. life caterpillar, apparently. It's just a giant caterpillar, yeah. 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 It's, not, it's like Grave Digger. Caterpillars don't go underground. Apparently, mutated ones do. There we go. There apparently. We go. <laughs> they, they want to burrow away into the ground. Apparently. Fine. And I'd love to talk about the fact that we had a tyrant in this. Well, that was, that was very. I'm excited. We've, we've gone to it. The build-up in the final episode is absolutely phenomenal, and when it finally broke free from the glass yep. in season two, I thought it was wonderful. Oh, ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's always obviously this debate whether or not it's a tyrant traditionally, or if it's a version of Albert Whisker. Uh, I think the claws. It's, it's, it's a tyrant. Come on. It was. The, it, I it, assumed it, it was the reporter. That was my kind of. I, I, I assumed it, it, the report that the the person they captured was that was him, but I don't know. Oh, is this is this one? I was like, Nemesis is someone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From like the nineties. Scoop for season two. It's Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and the liquors. We didn't talk about the liquors. We haven't talked about the liquors. Shame on us. Shame on us. They look uh, fantastic. And although Romby makes a good point about the you know, who their victims were in terms of the inconsistency, who was moving, who was making noise. I did really love that kind of alien-esque type thing, you know, when you've got alien, you know, in the alien film when uh, you don't see the thing and then just suddenly someone's just plucked out of the air and, and you know, up through the fence. I, I, I really did endure that, seeing their, their huge tongues come out and just, you know, pluck people out from, from nowhere. This seems to be a thing. Design. I said, this seems the, to be a the, thing in a lot of these movies. The, the lick of tongues seemingly get longer and longer uh, as the film Yeah, go I was on. about to say that. <laughs> I was exactly, like exactly what I was about to say. The whip sound that went with it was was almost <laughs> slightly comical, slightly. Um, but I like the fact that they that was the right level of chaos. Like I was talking about the scene with the zero zero at the end of the series, where it was a like chaos for no reason. That was the right level of chaos if it was consistently narratively sensible. But like having creatures that you can't see moving fast in the dark, and then you get someone's torchlight across one of them, or like someone get yanked away out of a shot or something. That was the right. I thought it was the right level of chaos. Again, if it had been consistent to who was making noise, I think I would have been much happier with it. Because mm. I thought from a sequence standpoint, otherwise it was a good... I good, think it was probably, it was the, good probably, the, best, probably the best monster scene. My uh, issue is, and we talked about this briefly on Discord the other night, is is what, why why have Liquors become the mainstay B.O.W. for the live-action stuff? I don't know. You know, what, why have we not had in all these years a Hunter or a Chimera or anything like that yet? Why is it always Hunters? I'm so tired and bored of them now. Well, I, I think I think Hunters just look like big frogs with claws. I, and I, 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 yeah, Lickers I'm are kind still of, human-esque. Yeah, I think it's an aesthetic yeah, thing. I mean, I, they just look so I'm fantastic. With, yeah, I think it's a design aesthetic thing. I think Nick's kind of right, the human-esque element to it you know it's like a version of a human the the, in, the way they move climb walls hang from yeah. ceilings is a, a very interesting 
and the tongue as well. Like it's from a design standpoint, like whoever created the design for that, I don't actually know who which of the designers from Capcom came up with the idea of the the, the, the liquor in the first place. I actually want to know this, but like it's it's probably understandably why it continues to get used because it's such an interesting and evocative design. Whereas I think hunters as a, as a threat are much more interesting, but from a design standpoint, they're not nearly visually from a, and you've got to think these are shows, movies that are visual medium. So you want something that's interesting and unique. Yeah. Um, and it's, and, I'm, and it's wonderfully it. repulsive as the, you know, the biology of the chimera is, I just think a lot more problematic, you know, some, uh, I'll be speaking to that a lot more problematic. I think, you know, to have a chimera design the liquor. I do remember the name was a, a competition within a development team in terms of naming them. Yeah. But I can't remember who there the designer go. was. I think it was Oishi possibly, but I think it's an aesthetic thing. They just look so fantastic. So I think we've kind of covered our kind of views on the BW's special effects generally. We're going to move on to, we will be moving on to our kind of general kind of canon issues and overall thoughts, chance of season two. But before we do that, you've probably heard enough from us. We have actually had some uh, call-ins from some of our listeners. And I think this is a good opportunity because uh, the the call-ins obviously cover a a wider range of what we've already spoken about. So I think let's roll on the tapes. Okay, so the first call-in comes in uh, from our patron, CK Presence. So let's roll the tape. How's it going, Resident Evil podcast? CK present here, and I will say I'm a little, little bit hesitant to call in in that I feel as though I'm going to be ostracized slightly from the community after I say what I have to say here, but I actually didn't mind the show too much, and I thought it was okay to decent. Now, I'm not saying the show was anything spectacular or amazing, right? I'm not going to give it like an 8 to 10 on a scale, but I would give it somewhere around a 6.5, and it certainly has its merits. Firstly, I did want to say, of course, I think the show has issues. Some of the writing is very strange, particularly in the middle episodes where the show drags a little bit. Billy has an interesting arc and an interesting story throughout the show that we don't really quite see come all the way to fruition we're just sort of seeing her turn and her change from from jade's sister and from sort of a good person quote unquote to who she would become in the post-apocalyptic timeline maybe that's something they'll explore in the second season if it gets a second season i was checking out the resident evil reddit the day the show came out overwhelmingly the fan base was so negative and so critical of the show that i went in with i think a pretty low bar and low set of expectations which is maybe why it didn't come off as too bad for me but the most common critique that i kept seeing was why is it so hard to make a resident evil show why don't they just make re1 again re2 again re3 again the script is there the plot is there and i think for me that's really not what i'm looking for honestly like if you want that story go play the games whether the original or the remake those stories have already been told i don't expect in perpetuity that every resident evil live action or cgi movie or show that comes out is just a retelling of the events of the first three games that's incredibly boring and narrow-minded that's not to say that if that's what you wanted from the show that i disagree wholeheartedly with you or that I think your opinion is totally invalid. I just, I think that we have to open up our minds to a little bit of the fact that we ask for and we really desire new content and new storylines in the Resident Evil universe. And then when we get one, this is what happens. I don't know. I'm not saying this was the best attempt at that new storyline, but it certainly was an attempt. And I think the show deserves a little bit of credit for trying something new, um, particularly because I've already been going for three minutes here, just to give a couple examples. The characterization of Wesker was, I thought, pretty decent in many instances. There's a few scenes in particular where Albert's character harkens back to the OG Wesker, as they refer to him in the show, namely during the torture scene, and also when he's spreading the dog's blood from episode one. 
all over himself in order to cover for Billy and Jade's break into the lab. I thought both of those had kind of really interesting moments, both cinematically and really with the color palette of how they shot the show. I think it was really, really cool. And I also liked the tie-in with Evelyn being Marcus's granddaughter, I believe was the tie-in there. You get a little couple, at the very end, you get a reference, excuse me, to Ada Wong. You've got references to the dog whistle, finding the clip of ammo hidden away in the Wesker house. Like, I mean, it's got things about it that really scream Resident Evil to you. And then, of course, there are things, like I said, with the writing that make it come down a bit in terms of quality. I also think the visual representation of the zeros or zombies was was quite bad. They should have looked more traditional zombie, but I didn't hate how they acted and the fact that they were fast moving or anything like that inherently. All in all, I think what I would summarize is if you really start to look at the show, it tried something new. Maybe it wasn't as successful as it could have been, but it has potential. And I think that also this might be the Resident Evil 6 that we never really got in a weird sort of way. Like this is actually... A pretty good follow-up to RE5. <laughs> in some really strange sort of ways, I think it can work in that way. Please don't hate me, fanbase. Please don't hate me. The Resident Evil 6, we never got Star Siren. I think his, I think his comments were f- totally fair, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, we even shared um, a couple of them. When we said, I sort of praise it for at least being ambitious enough to try something different. Like I say, it didn't, it didn't land for me. But I can't take away the fact that they haven't just simply tried to, you know, repeat beats from the games and things like that. And I also totally share his opinion. I don't want to see a one-to-one translation of a game, as you know, because it's just, to me that's just boring. And 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 you know, when if if you've got people on Reddit or wherever saying the scripts are already there, this is why people fundamentally don't understand that you have to adapt things. You can't just literally take a video game or a book and just put it on a screen as is and expect it to work. You've got to make narrative changes because that's the whole point of it being adapted. You you know, Lord of the Rings would not have worked at all as a movie if it was literally the book on screen one-to-one. And I don't care what any purist says or anything like that. It would not have worked. You know, and that applies to the Resident Evil games as well. I don't want to see actors just going around the Spencer Mansion solving puzzles exactly as they did in the game because that would be fucking dull for a movie. That's just the the hard truth. It, It would be. Yeah, sure. Only hundred percent right. You might as well just play the games at that point. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, I'm I'm in two minds because in theory, if I was wanted to take the perspective of the fact that we at the end of last year we had a movie that came out that tried to um, invoke parts of the first two video games, I kind of would have almost wanted to see this reverse that the series was the film idea and that the film was the narrative story oh, yeah, idea yeah, yeah. because a lot of people complained that. They were trying to fit two games worth of material and backstory into one 90-ish minute movie, whereas if they'd had an eight-episode series, it probably would have been able to do a bit more justice with all the characters like being fleshed out, the, the, the timeline of how it worked, and where you went over that narrative. But it's also true because it's a story that already exists in other mediums, and that's kind of part of the problem. Personally, I think moving it to this time frame, if you were going to say it's connected, is, is, is perhaps an understandable decision, but it's also one that you know it has its own problems. I'd be much more interested in seeing... It's kind of funny you guys have talked about it in a little way. Maybe the art clay lab in the 70s and 80s or the events leading up to the events of the original resident evil during the mid 1990s those are sort of narratives that would fit connectively within the tissues of um, what's going on and um, you know even the six months leading up to the mansion incident or, or like something like that that connects all these characters that could be an idea rather than just being a one-to-one of the game but 
I, again, there's there's still ways problems, and and as Sean has definitely alluded to, you have to adapt or be inspired by elements from the show and uh, from the games into when you're making a show or a movie, and it's always going to be tough. But I think the biggest question that it goes back to what I said earlier, which is really more about what this is thematically. If you've got the Resident Evil license, what does that mean? What is the sort of thing you're trying to say with the show? What are you trying to make? And I feel like it's well and good to say, yeah, it's definitely uh, an interesting and unique take, and it, I definitely don't want to see the same sorts of things. But also, is this also the right thing? Is it Resident Evil enough? You know, having these scenes with puzzles and references to Umbrella and, um, and an Albert Wesker that's kind of an Albert Wesker but not an Albert Wesker, are these really enough to justify why you have this license and what you're doing with it? And if I want to be honest from a show perspective, from the perspective regarding the show, I don't think so. I think the fact you you know you've even changed zombies or zeros and you know Umbrella exists when it shouldn't and you've got these characters coming back that should be dead and you're creating new characters but they don't really pop and and they're not very engaging and as interesting as perhaps some of the other ancillary characters. I mean, I think we've all been in, in agreement that essentially the, the, the main leads that are, are less interesting than some of the side characters. You know, Evelyn is much more interesting than Billy and Jade in some respects. Wesker's backstory takes second fiddle to actually Lance Reddick's acting in, in the moment and there's different versions of his character. They're, they're more engaging and there's lots of un interesting ideas but never capitalized on and so i'm, I'm very loath to say it's a, i don't know where i'm going with this i'm very loath to say that it's a, a brilliant adaption of anything it's 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 something there's connective mm. tissue but it never it quite executes it correctly to me and i so i in that respect i can't agree but i totally respect the understanding and 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 the fact that someone might sit there and also enjoy it for those reasons because you know what what there is exactly 100 he's right to say there's no point in having a one-to-one adaption of something that already exists which you can go and play because that would just be just as boring what what we just briefly touched upon the aspect of puzzles and things like that what what did everybody think to the episode where they go around the house solving puzzles and playing the moonlight scenario and stuff like that because i've seen a lot of people uh, actually say they found that episode really landed and actually felt very resident evil it didn't to me personally um, I felt the more like I was just watching an elaborate version of the Crystal Maze. I appreciate it for what it it, it tried to do. I guess my my only thought was when did Wesker have the time to do all this? Yeah, for me, it 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 didn't land at all. I mean, this is it. It's difficult because you know, for so many years, I thought I did want to see a, a you know a, a like for like a translation of the narrative on, onto the big screen. But I take the caller's point; he's absolutely right, and it was mentioned before. Yeah, if you want that, go play the games. And Sean's right; actually, it wouldn't work, and it, it would be boring. And they tried; to, it felt so shoehorned in, and it almost there. I kind of feel sorry for them because you know, I, this is I kind of feel this is what I want to see, but it just doesn't work because in you know, in the context, you know, contextually, the narrative. You're right. When, why would he set it up like that? It, it just doesn't work, no. I think, as before I'd said earlier, like they tried to overcomplicate it by having like this whole camera thing and, and you know, like they've got a duck under this and it drags them all over the house in order to kind of drag that puzzle sequence out. And as I said, there's a lot of in-between narrative conversation, which is not bad you know, to have it because the characters are working through their motivations and their trust of their father and all that sort of stuff. But it, again, it repeats all of these things. And, it, and so it takes this puzzle, what was could have been a short little Easter eggy, naughty puzzle sequence with the Moonlight Sonata and keys and all that sort of stuff into a very long drawn out thing. And so I, I don't, if anyone says the pacing and that was good, I, I'm not, 
I'm not sure what they were watching because it wasn't what I saw, but if they enjoyed it, great. I did have the same question as you as well, Nick, about when Wesker had the time to set this up. But to be fair, I did also think about the fact that like there was a property manager showing them around and you suspect that Wesker, before moving the kids there, had already gone to the facility yeah, yeah, and started setting up the house. So maybe there was time. And obviously they don't bring a lot of stuff with them. So obviously they had houseload of stuff moved um, potentially or set up for them on their behalf. Um, mm. He could have easily perhaps done that in advance. But again, there's a regardless, there is a bit of a narrative inconsistency because you're like, it's almost like they've been living in this house for years it felt like but by having that all this hidden basement with all the stuff and all these little traps and tricks around the house that they've been like they've been well designed and thought out very 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 odd in that regard too so i, I do kind of agree with you thank you ck present for the call in the next one comes in from another patreon uh, doom gc this is a short and sweet recording so let's roll the tape hey this is carlos less doom gc while my expectations for the show were in check with almost everyone else, I somewhat kept hoping for a spark to ignite. I thought maybe this is it, the show that will start a golden era of good Resident Evil cinematic universe. But then I saw a boring already turned Barry. I realized that they were doing an Anderson again, yeeting names and references like bread to a flock of pigeons. So much lore still untold and unresolved, and yet they choose to reinvent it all over again. I guess welcome to the family, son. Not a fan, not a fan, it would appear. Uh, I'm amazed you like... didn't say breadsticks to pigeons. Yeah, but... <laughs> so, no, no, I'm kind of in the, the sort of same boat. It, it's got a wealth and a history of amazing storylines and avenues we could go down, and somehow this one out amongst all the pitches. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm at a loss. <laughs> You're I think lost. it's just, I think it's just for me personally. It's time to give up the pipe dream of a live action Resident Evil property. <laughs> Can we, can we, he does raise a point which has been brought up by some people, and I think it's worth discussing where people feel like this obviously has a more connection to the Paul W.S. Anderson mm. films. I would definitely say that in a visual tone, especially when you're talking about the Umbrella Labs. They're very stark and clean and the logos kind of splashed in the right places and there's this sort of corporate malfeasance concept that's quite overbearing on it as well. And the mixed mixed kind of concept because I think this is the closest. I Here is me giving some def- definite credit. I think the concept of the joy pharmaceutical, if you were talking about this and how it potentially creates an outbreak, is actually a really clever idea. I'm not saying that facetiously. I mean it like I think there's a really cool nugget of idea that we've we've had the same thing with like let's say the opioid epidemic in the United States and around the world really that someone goes out there for corporate greed and doesn't really have the understanding of the consequences of their actions and I think that's a really cool concept. There's a real core tenant under all that because pre- previously in the past the the T virus segment and the bioweapon side has been separated from the pharmaceuticals if that makes sense. We've got the front-facing umbrella corporation with its pharmaceutical empire and then the the, the weaponization and manipulation of these viruses is kind of a behind-the-scenes things these things don't normally cross over and it is something that you mentioned too nick that there was a little bit of that in the anderson promotional stuff with the regenerate kind of concept but they never really put it down that path it was just it became an outbreak and that's where it was whereas here the cause potential cause for an outbreak is an, a high overdose of a particular drug that's going to have this uh, t-virus as an active ingredient 
and I think that's quite an interesting concept about not, you know, that this is all about profits. It's all about maximizing potential for the company and be damned with the the, the consequences should something happen, you know. And um, I think that's very true to real life. And I think that is a really cool concept. But again, it just gets squandered under a lot of other fluff and other things that just don't really go anywhere. And then again, we don't get, as you've pointed out, we don't get the explanation as to how the actual apocalypse happened. So, and in the end, the joy will be a probably a red herring because it'll be spread through an affected bite or a bio creature or something, you know, the setup based on this first season. So, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a shame. I think there's a really interesting nugget of idea again. But thank you, Doom, for that call in. Our next one comes in a patron, uh, BB Mac. So let's hear what he has to say. Hi guys, BB Mac here. Um, I just wanted to phone in to say that I actually liked the Netflix show. I went into it, I had this mindset of it's not going to be the games. Just take it for what it is, and I absolutely loved it. Um, I think the sets and the costumes perfect. They were really, really good. And in my opinion, they were better than some of the films. I took the storyline. I enjoyed it. Um, I liked the 2022 parts better. I liked Jade and Billy's dynamic. I thought they were really good together. I also liked Lance as Wesker. I thought he was a good Wesker. My favourite part of the show, though, was Evelyn. I thought she was (laughs) hilarious. Typical camp Resident Evil villain, right up there with Lady D and even Whisker himself, let's face it. Resident Evil villains have never been serious. And that little dance routine, loved it, loved it. There's not much you can say in a two minute time limit, but what I do want to say is this community, I am fed up of every time something new comes out, the same thing happens. If you like it, that's brilliant. If you hate it, that's cool too. But what you don't get to do is attack people who do like it. You don't get to be racist. And I think as content creators, uh, they should think carefully about what they say. Because if they are overly negative, even though it's their opinion, don't encourage the people who follow you to attack others or take your word as gospel. It's their opinion. People should form their own opinion. That's it. I've rambled on. I didn't even actually get to say much, but keep up the good work, guys. Love you all. Interesting there. Good to hear from BB Mac. I just want to. I just want to apologise because I, I, like, I know like the output of the series lately has resulted in a sort of series of negative episodes, and I and I appreciate some people listen to us back to back, and if we have a, a spree of like not particularly warmly received reviews or whatever then it, it can create quite a dour impression i want nothing more than to like praise all this kind of stuff but it, i have to be true to myself and so i, I do apologize uh bb mac on this case that it hasn't landed for us generally on the team but you know i am totally with him in the the critique of the, the people who, who are chased just for having an opinion or you know almost hunted down and ostracized it's it's nonsense you know if you can't have a constructive debate or discussion about this kind of stuff then leave yeah. people to it yeah and you know i i remember i did, I did a um convention a couple of years back and i was doing a you know talking talking to people about the podcast and what we cover and uh, I, I made I made I made the mistake of only really talking about the games, but there was 
people in the audience were going, oh, you know, do, do you talk about the movies? And I was like, not really. This is actually, like, this is why we did a vote on it, really, on Twitter, because we weren't really planning on covering this um, in, in the first instance. You know, most people know we do the kind of, the, the games more first, first and foremost. Resident Evil, Resident Evil is, is for everyone. It doesn't matter how you get into it, as long as you get into it and you're, you're a fan if you're a fan. So uh, please never take our word as being anything other than just our four, four or five guys' random opinions on the game. I said, we tried to, you know, because we're reviewing it, bring balanced opinion. And I agree with a lot of what BB Max says. I thought Evelyn was great. I didn't like the dance scene, but that's neither here nor there. But there, there are lots of positives. But, you know, as, as we'll conclude uh, shortly, there were some, some uh, elements I didn't enjoy. So. I think. I think, okay. I think that's the same thing for, for me as well, Nick. Like, it's sorry, you, you, you're not going to let me ramble, so it's fair enough. I'll, I'll stop now. Before no, no, I sorry, agree with it, you guys. No, go for it. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting because we have this microcosm of a community that definitely loves to debate things, and it's always been this case. It's been this since Ice Fest started doing this 20 years ago. And I think it's the visceral of, uh, like, I, I will not begrudge anyone. If you if you sat down and watched eight episodes of this show and you loved most of it or loved elements that I didn't love, then that's fine. It's your opinion and you got your enjoyment I and mean, it's not my place to uh, squash your enjoyment of something and i don't think any of us here would love that we're all voicing our opinions and it's the same reason you know you know gt's talking about enjoying fast moving zombies and the rest of us don't it's just like well that's cool because it's a difference of opinion and it makes it interesting when we get to engage that and i i, I justify why i think i like slow moving zombies but if he can justify why he likes the fast moving zombies, that's perfectly his point and it's the same thing whether or not you um feel you enjoy the show or not but it also doesn't allow people who don't enjoy elements of it to be so forthcoming on very specific nitpicky racist and sexist intentionalist reasonings for it because that's not justifiable it's not it's not an excuse it's not an explanation you can say i didn't like the way this was portrayed i didn't like the way it was written i didn't like the way it was shot i didn't like the vfx i didn't like this or conversely i loved this i loved the choices of actors and i love the choices that were made but it doesn't allow you to justify them over um, specific reason that comes around to to, to yeah. a, a person's gender race makeup background or whatever and, and to see the endless parade of jokes about like oh here's what jill's going to be like in the second season and it's some you know model in a doing cosplay as jill valentine it's like you're not only belittling the fact that there's a fan who likes the franchise who was willing to dress up in a costume but also over the fact that their skin color is not the same as what you perceive that character to be at and 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 you basically just make yourself look like an idiot and and the same thing happened with the welcome to raccoon city movie with with leon and it, it's weird i just don't understand it i don't see why that fact is there are there are there are other issues with the show personally that would be more to do with yeah. what the franchise is than it is worth to be nitpicking over who's portraying a character it doesn't yeah, make absolutely. sense to me thanks bb mac thank you very much our final call in uh, a new call in from down under the mippy g'day guys uh the mippy here calling in from down under in australia today so what did i think of netflix's resident evil Let's see, I've been a huge fan of this series for my whole entire life. I'm someone whose point of pride is being able to find enjoyment in even the more contentious games of the series, like Resident Evil Garden and Operation Raccoon City. I can usually pick up anything from this franchise and walk away with at least one or two things that I enjoyed about them, even if they were pretty bad. Resident Evil series on Netflix, I switched it off about 45 minutes in. I have to say that this is the one that broke me. Um, uh, why didn't I enjoy it? Well, as a fan... 
I just didn't feel like this show was written for me at all. I don't go into Resident Evil really looking for teen dramas or Albert Wesker getting bossed around by his teen daughters. (laughs) Um, You know, this is the same guy who says that he's going to threaten Claire by bringing back her dead friend to haunt her. And now he's sitting in a school threatening a man by telling him he's never going to be able to work at Pornhub. So, you know, take that as you will. I guess one positive I can level at this show is that it made me look back a bit more fondly on the older efforts to bring this uh, franchise to the big screen, which is a really sad thing to say. Um, But at least Paul Anderson kind of tried to provide us with something that was a bit of fun, even if it crapped all over the law. And at least Welcome to Raccoon City slowed it down and tried to be a bit more law-friendly and tried to provide something a bit more faithful to the fans to watch on the big screen. Um, Netflix's Resident Evil just didn't really do either of these things for me. And I really hope that somebody else got a bit of, got a bit of enjoyment out of this show because I certainly didn't. But, you know, if you liked it, more power to you. But look, here's hoping in the future that somebody who really cares about this franchise and has the money to bring a great vision to life comes forward and takes the reins. So thank you for your time, guys. Quite a, uh, a brutal assessment there um, of, of the of, of the films. And talking about kind of Paul Anderson, there is a, there is another wave I've seen online as well about people going, oh, you know, perhaps we were too hard on the Anderson, things like that. Mm. I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't agree with that. But no, I <laughs> what I will say is I am surprised. And I know we've talked about this sort of privately, haven't we, Nick? That very surprised that Welcome to Raccoon City was trashed to the level it was. And, you know, and I, that movie didn't work for me either. So, you know, I'm, I'm not part of this group because i didn't particularly like that film at all but i am so surprised to see that get so utterly rejected by people and this so warmingly embraced it's it's kind of thrown me to be honest i and i know that welcome to raccoon city didn't work for me but there's more of what i would consider to be a resident evil dna in there somewhere than this Mm. show Uh, yeah it's just kind of it's it's this very strange curveball how that movie was yeah just so utterly rejected and this more so more embraced and i know you know i don't know how you must feel nick because you quite like the film yeah i i I didn't mind welcome to raccoon city it was flawed in many many ways I've always said its heart was in the right place. It's just a bit off too I much think, too much in one go, I think. It's very interesting. I was looking at the Rotten Tomato scores last week um, of both the film, most recent film and the series, and it's like you're almost at the flip side of what it is. I think like the, if I'm correctly, the t- TV critic review was like 51 or 52% or something like that, and the movie's like 30%. And yet the audience score for the Netflix series is like 25% or something like that. And the movie was like 65%. It was, it's, it's like from a, from a mass majority, it's like completely reversed. But that's not what I've been seeing on the internet. I've kind of been seeing a very mixed bag about the Netflix show. Perhaps not as positive as Sean has seen in some areas, but definitely uh, more of a balance of I liked it, I didn't like it, as opposed to the movie where I felt like I saw more, I didn't like it. But the other aggregates tend to think that it was more positive than that. I, I don't know. Very weird. But. Mm. We've had some, not a call in, but some comments as well. So just, just to kind of follow up from what the Mippy was saying, this, some comments from JC Wesker, who's just DM'd me mid-recording uh, with his comments because he was unable to get a call in to us. But going on what we just said, he was of the view that unlike Welcome to Raccoon City, which he felt was more of a Resident Evil interpretation of the Raccoon City incident, 
the Netflix series is his own story with the Resident Evil uh, video game mythology as we know it as of 2002 or uh, sorry, 2022 and a loose backdrop of the events. So I think what JC's kind of saying is that, that there's there's that clear distinction and therefore it will work or doesn't work depending on your, your kind of take. He's a fan of the two timelines and like the aesthetic of the Umbrella lab, lab, Laboratories as well and some of the conspiracy elements, Moonlight Sonata, the puzzles. Uh, and, and things like that, and oddly, and, and and enjoyed Wesker as well. Didn't like the the uh, teenage angst, which I, I I kind of agreed with. Overall, JC liked it, and I felt that uh, he's intrigued to see where they go in season two, which we'll quickly touch upon in a second. But yeah, it, it's an interesting uh, assertion that he's made. In corresponds with what Demippy was saying, just how uh, arguably Welcome to Raccoon City was too close to the source material and thus justified criticism, and then the Netflix show was too far away from the material. And therefore, justified criticism. <laughs> it seems to be something in between that perhaps needs to be hit for everyone to be happy. I doubt that, but you know, that's the uh, that's the possibilities that could happen. There we go. So thank you, uh, Bippy, for the call in. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and if anyone wants to call in for future podcasts, then uh, by all means, we'll announce uh, accordingly in our Discord, which you should sign up to if you want to join our community. Um, the final things we want to talk about, as I kind of teased upon, there is just the, is is the future of the Netflix show. But also, the and, and this kind of leads into the canon discussion and something, Rob, you mentioned earlier about the kind of marketing of it. Mm. I found that very disingenuous because you're, it's very hard to believe that everything up to Resident Evil Village has happened in this time. Because we know that Umbrella is gone by 2003, I believe, that dissolved in the, in, in the game series. So that straight off the bat doesn't really work. Now, you could say, well, we've got Umbrella in... Resident Evil 7 in Village, yes we have uh, that's colloquially known as Blue Umbrella, which isn't a pharmaceutical company per se, is more of a pal- uh, PMC guns for hire type people that are helping out BSA- the BSAA where, where was the mention of the BSAA where was the mention of you know, world defining events like Terra Grigia why are they still using the T-Virus, where the T-Virus basically stopped being used in about, what, I don't know, what, I suppose you could argue the T-Phobos virus, maybe. You know, the, the virus is so defunct at that point. Where's the Plagas, which was the clear focal point? Where was mention of Ouroboros? Will Farmers, Will Farmers antivirus. Where's the, yeah, absolutely, where's, where's the antivirus is pretty much cured by that point. And it, I don't want to dwell on it too much, because if, that, if, if Andrew Dabb hadn't mentioned it, no, this wouldn't be an issue. Everyone would just go find, you know, it's, an, it's a new take it's on the series. It's its own canon, yeah. It's its own canon, but when say. he me- directly the, the, mentioned the, the, what it was, the, it's like, it can't work. The problem is, and I, I kind of want to go back to this a little bit, Nick, because you made a good comment earlier on about um, when you were at the, when you were doing your panel, there are people who the Resident Evil franchise, their introduction was the say Paul W. S. Anderson was, films. Yeah. And so they've watched the films and then they got into the games or they only know the films because they've got Netflix, so they're probably gonna check out the series thinking it's connected or or see it. On that surface level, I think a lot of it is interesting in that it works two ways. You've got the show is well so let's put it this way, the show is canon to the games, but the games are not canon to the show. But those things are not mutually exclusive because the sh- canon of the show picks and chooses what it wants to 
take relatively. But then because of that, you've also got this confusing nature that there's references to things that happened in the game's canon that if you're a casual game player or have never played a game and only seen like the Anderson movies, you have no idea what that is referencing or who the relevance is. So like even Albert Wesker like may not mean a lot to you if you'd only seen some of the Paul W.S. Anderson films. And even if you had, you'd be like, but that's a different person than Albert Wesker. So you would naturally assume that this is a different take anyway, and it's not connected. But if you were silly enough to think it's connected, you're already creating narrative disconnect between the films. <laughs> so there's no clear and clear distinction that this isn't even related to those media f- mm. films because the franchise has the same name. So that alone is confusing for someone who's already done that. And then you add the yeah, Dab's comments about for the canon of the games, which is only going to frustrate people like ourselves who are very interested in the canon and and history of the franchise to be able to sit here and nitpick. And yeah, a lot of it is relatively pointless in that respect because if, as I said earlier, if it had just been its own universe canon with, you know, select events, fine, but yeah, it's a, it's messy. It's, it's messy. There's no way around it that it doesn't matter which angle you look at it from the, Again, it goes back to my point. What, who's this for? You've got franchise fans that are up to twenty. Have been franchise fans for up to twenty six years. You've got people who jumped on with the movies. You've got this this narrative through. It would have been much more interesting to if you're going to create a new idea, which you have to to set up these characters. Why not just make it original? Why not have it just unconnected to the games and you can then set up the backstory and as i said a lot of it is told and not shown whereas you had this great opportunity not just to have these two timelines but to jump back flashbacks and the narratives which they very occasionally do you've got a little bit of lisa trevor in there as a you know um which we didn't mention the biw's far out yeah completely forgot about that in a, in a flashback scene and it's like wow there was a great chance to do more of that sort of like you've got videos and all this but no it doesn't go back or just in media and res within the show flashback. It's a the canon question isn't a question. It's it's obviously not. It's not shouldn't be a problem. But even if you take the canon question out of it, there are still in universe questions that no matter where your background is, you're going to have questions about what that means and what that references, and it doesn't add to a cohesive and interesting narrative for a show, for lack of a better term. I think I've said enough. I've said far too much about the far too much. <laughs> we, haven't re- we haven't really touched upon it all, but what did um, what did you guys think? To the the final T's the name on the letter. I think it's so lazy. It's so oh, obvious. Oh yeah, but it's I the do same think... as the movie that we just. Yeah. They literally the. <laughs> the difference here is, I think Ada is the surrogate mother for Jade and Billy, and I think that's what the hook's going to be for the next season. Uh, what's that going to add to the storyline? Uh, literally nothing there because because it's in a new narrative. It's just, Ada's just a name that they've used. Sure. I think it would have just been far more interesting to have gone for I don't know Sherry Birkin or something like that because it would have just been something that is different from like Welcome to Raccoon City or or just the, just what's expected. Ada's mm. become so tired now. I think as a as a plot device, and until the games can figure out what to do with her, I don't have any faith in anything else trying it either. Well, that's nice, Sean. Then you you can lead then on the future. Are we going to get a se- season two of this? I think that's an impossible question, Nick. To be honest, I think it's if you're talking purely on numbers, then it, it topped the Netflix watch list. I think it's third or fourth now, even weeks later. So it's doing well. It's pulling the numbers in, but Netflix offer, you know, Netflix are bizarre when it comes to this kind of thing because they've cancelled critically acclaimed TV shows after one season. I think um, at the point of recording, it's had about 72 million hours, I think, or something like that. 
I, yeah. I mean, the numbers are there to suggest it would be, absolutely. But again, it's Netflix. Would you welcome a second series? I... I'm trying. I'm really. I'm really trying. But I'm really trying. But like, no, I don't want to see another minute of it, please. That pause said all of that, John. Was, you didn't even have to say. I was it. honestly done by about like episode two, three. I was just like, I, I'm only watching this now because it's got the the Resident Evil name attached to it, and it does make me ask the question actually. And I meant to ask it far earlier around the time when I, I said, you know, who is this made for? Would people have persisted to watch this after like episodes one and two if it didn't carry that Resident Evil name and the promise of like, oh, you know, it's going to tie in at some point. It's going to have some interesting things I know from the games. If this was just literally called Joy, if this was a TV show called Joy and that was the, hook, the sort of narrative hook, would it, would it have been as embraced? And I, I genuinely don't think it wouldn't do. I think the Resident Evil name went a long way for this show. Rombie, what, what, where do you see the future of Resident Evil on Netflix? I'm with Sean on the sense that I have no idea. Like, it's it currently in New Zealand, it's number eight, and it's still in the top ten. So maybe the viewing, and you said the viewing hours, maybe that's enough. Maybe it needs to reach 100, you know, 100,000, whatever, million dollars, whatever it is, before it gets signed off. But, I mean, if they turn around and said it's not getting a second season, I would be like, okay, Netflix makes sense. Or, they said it's getting sick and I'd be like, okay, Netflix makes sense. <laughs> um, I think the thing that's been a bit of a boon is that this was production that was put in place before Netflix really started slashing budgets of late. And I think that's probably got a bigger, bigger issue is that obviously Netflix is putting in some course correction over um, losing money because of losing subscriptions. And I think if anything, that's probably got more to do with it. Like the, the numbers might be more scrutinized than they would have been in the past for a second sure, season, sure. those sorts of things. But I honestly... If there's a second season, I mean, the writers, <clears throat> from what um, GT um, ascertained online and what people have been saying and the and the VFX guys implied as well on Twitter is that there there is a second season that has been planned. My only hope for that is if it goes ahead is that they think they have, have spent a bit more time thinking about the arc of the season and narratively how, if you're going to jump back and forth between these two time periods, how that works and just think about what questions you need to answer in a season and what you can leave hanging. Um, I don't, it, it, you know, as much as we're, I kind of am with Sean on the Ada Wong thing, I can see why you'd put that in as a cliffhanger at the end of the season. Okay, cool. That's not actually an issue. But the inter-episode cliffhangers and the um, answers of some of the bigger questions were not answered in the season kind of leaves it with a resolve of like, did I just watch eight episodes or something not to really learn a lot? Um, and then it makes the episodes that felt like they were dragging out even longer because it's like there was a lot of padding in there for a very little payoff. Final thoughts then, uh, George? Yeah, I, I, I came into this very open-minded. I knew that there was you know, a lot of animosity towards the show, almost very much because of the nature of a lot of the animosity to it. You know, you know it kind of fueled my desire to give it as much time and to be as open-minded as i possibly can it did a lot right for me i kind of thought you know some of the episodes that did what the walking dead used to do quite well when you we see the human tragedy behind the, the virus i i really enjoyed i thought this was the best representation we've seen of, of bow's and secondary infectants i enjoyed the, the cast and some of the characterization you know with, with jade marcus and i'm using that playing off with wesker and and the tension that we've got 
I did like the fact that we got the uh, the behind the scenes, you know, Wes Wesker's private life, you know, the situation with him having two daughters. Initially, when I heard about this, I remember discussing it with with stars and and finding it absolutely preposterous. And I thought this was going to be so jarring. I just wanted no part of it at all. But actually, by giving it some time and being open minded and and seeing the performance of the actors who played Jade and Billy and uh, Lance Reddick's Wesker, uh, I really enjoyed it. Out of ten, I would give it six. Uh, it did a lot right and it did a lot very very wrong. So, yeah, 6 out of 10 for me. Thank you. Uh, Stars Tarrant, what's your final thoughts and marks out of 10? So, I just wanted to just take a brief aside, just to talk about the main reason why this show didn't work for me, and it's to do with tone. And I said I'd had an example, and I'm just going to quickly go there. It won't be long. There is a movie called Pan's Labyrinth, directed by Guillermo del Toro. And what that did was that that juxtaposed very, very expertly a World War II drama to the point where it's almost horror. And to see a little girl's voyage into a fantastical world now the reason why this movie is heralded as classic and is absolutely brilliant watch it if you've never seen it is because the two the tone of the two settings complement the other perfectly the fantastical elements make the world war ii stuff hit all the more harder all the violence is that much more horrific because it's balanced with the sort of joy and the vibrancy and the imagination of the fantastical world. It's all, and, and, and the lines blur because some of the fantastical elements have our horror elements to them as well. So it's, it's not just a clear, clear cut between the two they, they do blend. And that is a great example of how two tones can be wildly different, but contribute to a single narrative that is absolutely like cinematic perfection. I, I love the movie and um, I know I'm not alone in that. And David Lynch is very similar. He can take a, a scene in any of his movies and it can be literally laugh out loud funny and then through like a musical cue or a, a character turn, the, the scene is turned into horror almost instantly. And because you've had that levity at the beginning of the scene or at the end of the scene, the actual turn within the scene is all the more impactful. And this is why I think this show failed so spectacularly because the the post-apocalyptic drama doesn't contribute to the teen drama and the teen drama vice versa. They're so separate in terms of what they try and do that they don't complement each other. And so I think on the main reason, like the first episode just completely failed for me straight away is because I'm just seeing no correlation between these, these, these two universes. I'm told that these are the same characters but they couldn't feel any more different if they tried. And straight away, that just totally... The, the concept of the show, the whole point of this like double narrative, just fell flat on its face within like the first 30, 40 minutes of that first episode. And to me, it never, it never got it back. And I'm very, very critical with tone, probably more than a lot of people, in all honesty. But I see it a mile away, and I can't look past it, because tone is one of the most important things a filmmaker needs to, to you need to ace that kind of thing if you're hoping to sell your movie or, or your tv show or whatever and this show is one of the worst examples i have to say it of like tone the tonal whiplash you get jumping between the two timelines is is painful at times it, it yeah i just go i will finish my what this little monologue by saying i'm asking you all all the listeners who is this show made for and why does it exist and for me, it's a four out of ten. It's just not great. Bumby? Yeah, I, uh, I'm kind of on the same page. I tried to think before this because I knew that a lot of this episode it was going to be me going on little rants and and little monologues, just like Sean had just done. And so I 
tried to make a, a very short list of the things that I could see that I enjoyed or didn't enjoy, and this is what I've come up with. So I'll try and get through this as quickly as possible. Firstly, I think it's great, some great ideas, but not very often followed up on. We've gone through a number of those examples, so I won't repeat them, but um, there are quite often narrative dis discussions where you go, oh, that's an interesting idea, and then it just it services no reason. The writing needed more work on that front, especially, and especially like my rants have been a far too much wordy dialogue. So there's a lot of, like, as I said, not uh, showing and tell a lot more telling when realistically the reverse was true. There's inconsistent internal narratives and tone, as Sean has also just alluded to, that just um, don't really match. Episodes are probably too long and probably should have been around 40 minutes max rather than 60, because I think a lot of it feels like padding, which again makes the show feel longer than it is. I think the the cast generally across the board were pretty good. I think it was well shot with dis decent visual effects. Sure, there's occasionally ropey visual effects here and there, but most productions these days tend to have it. Costume set and cinematography are all decent. Sure, Calais looked more like South Africa, but you know that's where it was shot, so it's fine. But realistically, the biggest thing for me is just that it's just kind of the same thing that Sean's just alluded to, that someone needed to ask who this is marketed for, who this is made for, because I can't tell if it's for young adults or adults, um, what sort of show it is, because you've got like a lot of kind of cliche young adult drama and there's jokes and references for a young set, but then there's like some also narrative concepts for adults and gore and um, it's for a franchise that's been around for such a long time that have people from all these backgrounds. And so what is the point of the series? What, what does it um, say? Uh, what does it want to say? What is it about it that makes it unique and interesting? Why use the Resident Evil license? Nobody asked, you know, we have this license, we have this budget, maybe we could do something with it that no one's ever seen. They went down a path of like something that was very different from the games, but then also didn't see what the relevance was as a show, I think, as well. So, yeah, if you enjoyed it, uh, you know, I'm happy to hear that people did and you know but i really struggled it from that craft perspective and then it made me question the narrative side much more you know uh, and i just found it was kind of really bog standard and really badly paced and, and not really well thought out and then i then became much more nitpicky about everything else in it because of that but um yeah that's my, my hot take three out of ten i'm so three. happy i didn't have the lowest score yeah um my final my final thoughts um I, I, as i kind of led it on the introduction the tone was all over the place and it was a show that you found yourself watching the clock and you you check the timer and you think oh, i must be done by now and you suddenly found yourself having 20 minutes to go and you're like oh my i feel i've been watching it for hours and then no, some sorry i don't mean to interrupt interrupt but i just wanted to say i remember and i was supposed to bring this up earlier that you you thought it was six episodes, and when you found out it was eight episodes, you were pretty much dismayed that there was going to be two whole more hours. It was, it was, and I don't want to sound too negative, but as it, it, it just dragged in places. But then you had inter really interesting scenes, like with the liquor scene, and you know, overall the kind of prison, the prison in the in Calais was quite an interesting idea. It, everything, everything just seemed to take a bit too long. It could have been told in six episodes. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite convinced of that. Had, had they cut a bit of the, uh, some of the teenage stuff, which personally didn't land for me. But if it did, fine. I, I just found it a bit boring in places. And in terms of where it ranks with the Anderson films, I'd probably put it on par with about Afterlife. So like fourth in the Anderson films. I think it's got a lot of things going for it. I enjoyed some of the performances, especially Evelyn and uh, Lance Reddick's Wesker. I just didn't think there's enough to keep me entertained. And had we not been doing this, I'm not sure I would have made it beyond a few episodes. It was, it was, it, I just found it a bit criminally boring. 
more than anything else but there we go so I, I would say about five there was enough there it was boring in places but when it did get going there were some elements and i was quite intrigued to see how it did uh link up but then it kind of didn't so i was like okay and we haven't spoken about the crocodile the crocodile uh ma- ma- making a random appearance uh which should have been a neptune uh but whatever you know we will get my zombie shark one day what's the point of the crocodile <laughs> it, it turned up knocked a couple of drones out with its tail and then died <laughs> it was the most underwhelming sort of big finale reveal i can i can think of in recent memory it, it did look good i always yeah the cgi was really good for that and i especially considering it's daylight beach yeah side with water i thought it was really impressive but like yeah it didn't from a narrative sense didn't really do it even if it had started eating a bunch of the zeros i would have been like okay yeah, that makes sense yeah. just attacking random stuff but nope it's kind of threatened a bunch of people was about to eat people and then wouldn't and then knock some drones out of the sky and then got blown up by a helicopter there we go on that bombshell then we kind of bring our netflix discussion to an end i hope everyone enjoyed it i think we tried to uh extrapolate some of the the key points where we felt it worked where we felt it didn't work and try try to at least present uh, a, a balanced view on what ultimately um, was an interesting experiment but we now turn our attention to this week's or this podcast edition of neptune's biohazard quiz 25 years of resident evil 10 years of the resident evil podcast Expert knowledge is needed in what we call the quiz. This is my only opportunity for a point this week. Uh, I'd just like to announce everybody that uh, this is zero points for me this week. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. We've talked about the games straying too far from the origins. This Resident Evil quiz. We're now getting Spice Girls as the correct answer. I mean, it's time to quit. Welcome to Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. Jesus what? Christ! What <laughs> 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 question is that? The welcome one and all. George Trevor has given up the ghost and uh, he's had enough. So <laughs> the quiz today is a head-to-head between the Stars Tyrant and Robbie. Gentlemen, are you ready? Let's go for it. Excellent. <laughs> this is going to be painful. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm expecting high scores because they're not too difficult. So we we've got... You say that, Nick. I well, one out of five. <laughs> now, we've got a, yeah. We have a Netflix-themed quiz, albeit half, oh, half of it is. Oh. So You'll be fine, you'll be fine. I so, was expecting this. I was expecting this Netflix <laughs> themed one. These are s- simple, simple. Question number one. New Raccoon City is based in which country? Easy, easy. Question number two. In which UK city is the fortress-like area where Jade is first captured? Question number three. 
How many joy tablets does Wesker estimate are needed to to turn someone into a zero? How many joy tablets? That's it for the uh, Netflix question. So question number four comes in from member Grimm. Thank you very much for this. Uh, as we mentioned in the news, I've recently been playing Director's Cut on PlayStation 4, so he's he's put this one in for you, you Director's Cut fans. What is, what is the code needed to open the door in the West Stairway second floor, leading to what he's described as a rough passage? It was interesting, I, I like this question because I, I'd never used this code, this is the first time I'd ever got the code, so uh, I, I picked that. So what is the code that opened that door? And finally, question number five, Resident Evil Village, Lucifer's Key has what musical instrument attached to it there are the five questions join us after this one we'll run through those answers Welcome back to Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. I'm expecting high scores in our head-to-head round. So, question number one. New Raccoon City is based in which country? Star Star? South Africa. Rombi? South Africa. Correct. These are easy. Question number two. Which UK city is the forest-like area where Jade is captured? Rombi? Cannot remember. I know it's said, but I no, no, no resolution of it whatsoever. Star Star? Uh, London, wasn't it? No, it's Brighton. I nearly said Brighton. I thought she. I thought she. I thought she went to Brighton after she got cut. Oh God, she yeah, cap- my, in my haze. They, they, they ca- she gets knocked out. It's in London, but she's taken to Brighton. Yeah, it's the fortress like area. Brighton. Yeah, that was the only reason why. Mm. I thought she went to Brighton after she jumped into the into the zero horde from the you know, fucking. Yeah, no, I'm not, I don't know. That's why I couldn't <laughs> remember. I was like, mm, it says where it is, and I'm like, Brighton's the. I'm sure that's where the docks are, but is that where the? Uh, that's Dover. Nick, you're the quiz master. You figured it Dover. Oh, she well, the, to Dover. So of course it is. Yeah, yeah, right here. Yeah, yeah, you've got Brighton. Dover. Brighton's the yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Question number three was, how many joy tablets does Wesker estimate that are needed to turn someone into a zero? Star Star? I know. I don't know. Ten. 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 Yeah, ten. I have no idea. It's a pure guess. Uh, Rombi? So 50,000 or something like that. You're close. It's 20,000. 20,000. Yeah. No, no, not, not close enough, I'm afraid. No, uh, I wouldn't say that's close enough. For no. a single person to become infected? Yes, that's yeah. Must- How many that's why it's supposed to be people popping. But that's that's the point she's trying to say that it's not. It's a highly unprobable, and that's even without them fixing the problem, which is. Uh, question number four was: What is the code needed to open the door in the west stairway, second floor in Resident Evil Director's Cut or the original Resident Evil? Star Star, did you know this one? No, no, no. You don't have to type it in. You just get, you get, you know. It's one of those. I always waited for the rope and then carried on my journey anyway. So I've, I, I, tr- to, to have never done the, um, the code door, and I've never had as such. It's like six digits, but I couldn't tell you anything more than that. I was planning on doing my normal route, but when I got into the basement, I was swiftly decapitated. So I decided to go <laughs> the other way. You didn't rewind swiftly again. Swiftly decapitated. <laughs> Uh, he use it once, he said, <laughs> about the rewind feature. How many times Rom- did you use that in the end? Not many. <laughs> Not many. Rombi, did you know the code? 
Uh, I don't remember. I, I know for some reason there's like a slash in there or something random and like maybe like a six and a seven, but I can't remember the whole code. It's been a long time. Uh, it's eight slash zero eight three slash zero. Oh, well, neither slashes, school, but not. But yeah. numbers, I was obviously well. My, my high score prediction is once again being decimated. Uh, fine, can we restore some parity? Question number five was Lucifer Key uh, has what musical instrument attached to it? I'm going to be a bit generous because you, you don't. You're not strictly told, but Rombie, did you know? It's some sort of guitar or like guitar-like instrument. Okay, so does that mandolin or something? Cello. I don't know. It was a cello. 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 Yeah, it is hard to tell because of scale. Um, I yeah, I had uh, violin, viola, guitar, mandolin. I, I was being very flexible, so yes, you got the answer. It's very hard. It's a stringed instrument. It's a, a bass. bass. Yes. Was it a bass? Points, points all round. So let's have a look at those final scores. Well, there we go. We have joint winners or losers, depending on your point of view. <laughs> <laughs> Two out of five, both Rombie and Shaw share the lead. So congratulations if you're happy with that two out of five. Yeah, I'm happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) Join us next time when we'll have some more questions. So there we go. We are rapidly... Ending our Netflix discussion podcast. Coming up next, well, I, I keep saying this, uh, poor old Operation Raccoon City, it keeps getting pushed back. Um, <laughs> we're not trying to ignore it. it, it is planned, and we have started uh, a couple of multiplayer games just to bring ourselves back up to speed. We need to do some more of them. So it's only because we have something quite cool lined up, and we're not quite sure when that's able to drop. So much so, we've actually already recorded it. So we do have another podcast ready to drop. We're just not quite sure when we can release it. So that could be next, but it could be Operation Wrecking City. So uh, one of them. So uh, keep an ear out for that. There's a great irony to the fact that like people all deliberately think we're putting it off, but I'm actually really eager to get into the Orc discussion now <laughs> post sort of 2 and 3 remake. Yes, so, no, I am. You know, let, me, let me reassure people that it's not being put off deliberately. It's just, it's just one of those things that the dominoes haven't fallen the right way for the podcast this year in terms of structure and organisation and stuff like that. That's literally all it is. Whereas on the contrary, the Resident Evil 6 retrospective is being put off. And so I'm rubbing my hands, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> so I'd like to thank everyone for listening. And on that note, it is goodbye for me, Neptune. Goodbye for me, Sansara. Goodbye for me, Robbie. And it's goodbye for me, George Trevor. <laughs> Feels just like it's just